Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bouncing ball to second, Castro on the first, raise the Jolly Roger, a come from behind win, maybe the best of the year for the Battle and Buckos. Bendar trying to save it, Walker on it first, here's the pitch, swung on and hit well to the left center field gap, long run for Bay, and it'll be the left fielder Reynolds to cut him off and make the catch. And the Pirates win it. They come from behind again today. The Pirates have won four in a row. And it's Andrew Kisner. Got him. Bednar nails it down to the Pirates. Sweep the Cardinals. Yeah, find a way to win. Uh, especially these type of ball games yesterday. You have to find a way to win. You can't give that one up today. You, you, we got to play better. We got to figure out a way to put better at bats. It was tough. Then matching up after the rain delay from a matchup standpoint, it wasn't the easiest day, but at the end of the day, you still have to find a way to win. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Pirates TV network. And then, of course, Peacock, who had the game yesterday, where if you didn't watch, let's be honest, you didn't really miss anything. The Cardinals didn't show up either. And Alex, this is just where we're at at this point. The Cardinals are 25 and 35. They're 10 games under 500. They now have the worst record in the National League. This comes from Andy McCullough, who wrote earlier today, the Cardinals had not spent a day in last place at this point in the season since 1999. Well, at least it's not 1907. That team went on to win 75 games. This group is now on pace to win 68 games. Alex, it feels like every time we think the Cardinals have some momentum, it gets shattered for one reason or another. It's the whack-a-mole effect. It's... Early on in the season, the pitching's not good enough, but specifically, the rotation is not good enough. Then the offense starts picking it up, and okay, maybe this is going to work out all right. Nope, nope, nope. Now we're going to get the offense to go back into a slumber, and the bullpen is now struggling. It's something new every single day, and over the weekend, I didn't feel like it was anything necessarily that Ollie did. I didn't think there was anything that you could pinpoint that was like, hey, this is a bad managerial decision. They're just not playing well, and they're getting beat now by teams that should not be as good as them. The Cleveland Guardians have not been good all season long. They just DFA'd Zach Plesak, who was supposed to be one of their better pitchers over the weekend. They lose two out of three there and could have potentially lost three out of three there. They lose the first game of the series against the Kansas City Royals, and now you get swept against the Pittsburgh Pirates for the first time since 2018. Alex, I'm not saying I'm hitting a panic button, but... 
I'm certainly reaching for the panic button at this point. I don't even know if I'm reaching for the panic button because they're doing exactly what I thought they were going to do this season. They're doing exactly what they did at the first month of the season. Now, different ways of ruining it because the first month of the season was all about pitching and now it's all about hitting. But uh, unfortunately, that's why I couldn't get excited when they won 12 of 16 because before that you were 10 and 24 against some good teams and some mediocre teams and you weren't finding ways to win you were losing it early whether it was your starting pitching or you were losing it late where your bullpen would blow up or those spotty games where your offense wouldn't show up and then you go on that run where you got the best of boston you got the best of milwaukee and chicago and the dodgers they played really well in that stretch man really well but that's this Cardinals team where you just get a span of it, whether it's 10, 12, 14 games, you just get a little span of it, but then they drop back down to realization. And that's the problem with the second half comeback that everybody's talking about. I saw Miles Michaelis mentioned it in the post yesterday that, yeah, we're still waiting on that 17 game win streak that gets us into the playoffs. The problem is that's that streak that we're talking about. That's that span that you do. And then the bats go silent. Now, some of this can be explained. You don't have any of your outfielders. Some of this can be explained. Your bullpen is probably just as taxed as the entire roster was in the 19 days straight. It shouldn't be, though, right now. You just had two days off. You don't get two days off as a bullpen. But none of that matters when you're playing a Pirates team that everybody has deemed you better than and you lost in a a five-run comeback, two-run comeback, and then you score five hits off Rich Hill. Rich bleeping Hill. Yeah, it's embarrassing. He was the oldest guy to get a win in Major League Baseball. I saw since like Randy Johnson. I mean, oh, it's, God. It's, it's been a minute. It's like 1907. <laughs> um, your offense has gone silent. They're averaging 2.4 runs per game over their last 10. That's consistency, BK. <laughs> I just, I, somebody on the text line, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. BK, it's only appropriate that I start off your show by saying you suck. I'm tired of hearing statements at the beginning of series against what you consider to be weaker competition. Even though the Cardinals are in last place, not only in their division, but in the league. Every time you say that the Cardinals should beat a team in a series, they end up going out and getting their butt kicked. First of all, fair, fair critique. Second of all, they should have beat the Pirates this weekend. They should have. They didn't. And that's the problem with this Cardinals team. They should do a lot of things. They should be more consistent offensively. They should be a team that has a pretty good bullpen consistently. But this team does nothing consistently. Nothing. The starting pitching is erratic. It goes from being one of the worst rotations in baseball for the first month of the season to, guys, they're kind of pitching all right right now in terms of their rotation. I'm not falling in for that trap. Oh, I'm not telling you that this is going to sustain at all. But in this 10-game stretch where they've been abysmal, they're 3-7, and seven, their starting rotation has a 3.1 ERA. And they're 3-7. and seven. That should tell you everything you need to know about how horrible everything else has been for this team. So I, I don't even know what to make of them anymore. But when we look at this season, Alex, I think we've compared it to the blue season 12 different times. Mm-hmm. And we're getting a lot of that on the text line right now. Guys, it's blue season 2.0. At what point during the blue season did you feel like you sh- either you knew it in the moment or you now look back and you say to yourself, ah, that's when we should have known that the Blues were not going to be able to do anything meaningful this year. Was there a specific like stretch of games where you felt that way? Yeah, well, Grant and I lived that pretty much from game one. Painfully. I, painfully. I, honestly, I think for me, if I'm being totally honest, 
December when they lost to Winnipeg and Colorado and Nashville, that felt like the moment where it was like, okay, you can't beat these teams in the Central. You're not going far. In January? That late January? Yeah, January. Like, that was the time frame. But in all reality, where I think everybody jumped on board with that, it was the 5 nothing loss to Arizona. It was when you lost, like, five games going into the All-Star break. That was the moment where me and everyone else looked at it and said, this just isn't a playoff team. I feel like there's a chance this ends up being that. I don't know for sure. Like, I I hope that this thing gets back on track, man. I would love nothing more than that. But the numbers are starting to really go against the Cardinals at this point. And you just got swept in Pittsburgh, and you've been playing terrible baseball now for a solid two-week stretch. Basically, since that Dodger series where we came out and we're like, okay, Cardinals are fixed. Everything's going to be okay, guys. They've played bad baseball ever since then. I was looking up a few things last night to figure out, okay, what's what's the context of what we're witnessing right now in terms of the Cardinals being this bad, but people still talking about them as if they have any sort of a reasonable chance to get into the postseason. So here's what I got, Alex. Since 2000, it's more than a 20-year stretch here, there have been 136 major league teams that started with a record as bad or worse than what the Cardinals have, 25 and 35 or worse through the first 60 games of the season. In that group of 136 teams, only three finished with a winning record. It was the 2022 Orioles just last year, the 2005 Astros that we've mentioned a number of different times. That was the team that ended up going on to the World Series. And it was the 2005 Oakland Athletics who had a movie made about them called Moneyball. So that's the list. You are trying to become the fourth. Not to get to the playoffs. No, 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 no. Just to get to a winning record by the end of the season. And that's where I'm I'm now having a tough time coming up with, this is why you should believe. This is the reason why Cardinals fans should not give up on the season. Should continue believing that this team's going to get back on track. The only thing that I can hang on to is, this division's terrible. Okay, cool. Do you think you're going to have to win 83 games to win it? Because if you think that you're going to have to have a winning record at the end of the year in order to win this division, you will then be one of 137 or one of four teams out of that 137 group to end up in that spot. I just I don't know if I believe it. I I don't know if at this point I can reasonably come on here and tell you guys, yeah, this team's going to figure this thing out. It's really hard for me to believe at this point. But the problem, too, is sitting here saying, yeah, because of this division, you could probably still get into the playoffs. You're 9-11 and in the Central Division this season. It's not like you've run away and beat up these Central Division teams. If I'm not mistaken, you've won two series against the Central Division. It was the Cubs and Milwaukee, and here's a surprise. It was in that span that everything clicked for the Cardinals. Other than that, you're losing series. You're tying series. You're not winning these series. And if you can't win against Milwaukee and Cincinnati and Chicago, you're really not going to win when you go up against the Texas Rangers or when you go up against these other teams that are playing like actual playoff contending teams. So I'm with you. I'm kind of done with this narrative of, yeah, but the NL Central is right there for the grabbing because nobody's great. That's fine, but you're the bottom dweller in that division that is up for grabs. And yeah, this team could probably go on a 17 or 18 game win streak. I can't doubt them because I've seen it in the past. But none of that matters to me because you could go on it in the regular season. You can make the playoffs. You could be a wild card team. But it's all going to end the same way because that's what this Cardinals narrative has been for the last three years. But I do think that's where I actually disagree with you. I, I think it is 
it's time to talk about can they even do that? Like, can, yeah. can they can they get to the place where they're making it into the postseason? Because, like, I think we just kind of talk about it as if it's a foregone conclusion. It's a birthright because they're the Cardinals. They've got the birds on the bat, and this organization can't miss the playoffs. They can't fall below 500. Guys, they can. This team can have a season just like the Blues, where they end up winning 75 games. And if that happens, that's when people get fired. That's when organizational philosophies shift. That's when you get to the end of the road and Ryan O'Reilly's on a different team and Ivan Barbashev is no longer here and you talk about trading every player that's on your blue line and you get to the trade deadline and maybe nothing happens from it, but Colton Pareko starts getting up in conversations. Jordan Bennington's name is brought up in conversations. Like That's the kind of season that we very well may be witnessing right now. And if that is indeed the case, it's going to be because they have had a whack-a-mole season and it continued over the weekend. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Oh, he did it again. It's been a while since oh, you've done not, that, too. It's not Tanner Hendrickson. It's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. I was on a rule, man. <laughs> Tanner Hendrickson is in the passenger seat of a car with Meemaw right yeah, that's now. That's right. He'll be back in tomorrow. Looking forward to that. The Cardinals are back to the whack-a-mole thing, where when one thing succeeds, another thing has to fail. It's it's just written in the rules. That's how it works for this team. We'll explain the latest on what has specifically gone wrong for them lately next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And the bases are loaded for Alec Burleson. Another lefty-lefty matchup. Popped it up, and Marcano gloves it. Now with one out, you'd love to add on at least one here, and Jordan Walker will try to do that. A throw to the plate, and he gets the out. Didn't know where Santana would go with it, but he made a nice play to throw to Hedges to get the force of Arenado for a second out. Third walk in the inning has loaded the bases. Yeah, nice job there by Cody Bolton. Walks him loaded, leaves him loaded. Plenty of chances to break that game open. Just couldn't come up with a big hit. Scored five, took some good swings against Contreras, but at the end of the day, we, we had a lot of missed opportunities. And what's becoming a theme to the Cardinals season, they were not able to come away with a big hit in that game on Friday. The fifth, sixth, and seventh innings, Alex, Cardinals had the bases loaded in each of those three innings, came away with exactly zero runs scored in those three innings combined. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and the Pirates TV Network. Alex, the Cardinals over their last 10 games are batting 194 as a team. That's not just with runners in scoring position. That is overall. They have the 28th best batting average in Major League Baseball in that stretch, 29th best on base percentage at 275, and they are 27th in slugging percentage. This offense has gone dormant once again. And now you look at what they're doing again with runners in scoring position, and it's been a struggle. And so yesterday... John Denton asked Dolly Marmel, does this feel like April again? Is it feel like a redo of what we saw at the beginning of the season? Here's what uh, Ollie Marmel had to say. Quote, it's not even bleeping close. It doesn't feel that way at all. In April, we handed over a lot of games at a lot of different ways. Pittsburgh just beat us three straight days. At the end of the day, Michaelis left one up for Bay, and that's really all they got and we weren't able to string anything together. That feels very different than April, end quote. 
that was one game. Agreed. I disagree with Ollie on this. Now, if he if what he's saying is basically like, and he can't say this out loud probably after a game, but if what he's saying is, yeah, man, in April, like we had a 30-game stretch of what we just went through for three I understand that. That's true. Like, this has not been as extended as what you saw in April when you were 10 and 24 to start out the season. What I do think is very similar, though, is what we've talked about with the whack a mole thing, where once you get one problem fixed, Cardinals starting pitching, 3.1 ERA in their last 10 games. Another problem emerges. They're 28th in batting average as a team, and they're 28th in bullpen ERA in this stretch. You can never have all three things going well for any extended stretch of time. The only time that we've really seen it, Alex, was in that stretch that you mentioned against Chicago, Boston, Milwaukee, the Dodgers. That four-series stretch, Cardinals played as well as any team that you will watch this year in any four-series stretch all season long. They were that good. But unfortunately, they have not been able to sustain that. And that's what bad teams do. They have one-offs. They have moments where you're like, man... If you, if you were able to bottle this up and put it together for an extended stretch, they've really got something here. But the Cardinals don't do that. They do it for four or five games at a time, and then it completely goes flat for the next 10 to 15 games. And that's where they're at right now. That's why they are the worst team in the National League. And at some point, they have to be willing to admit as much. Your record is what you are when you're 60 games into a baseball season, and you are not only one of the worst teams – you are the single worst record in the National League right now. Worse than the Nationals, worse than the Rockies, and those teams aren't trying to win this year, and you're supposed to be. I, I mean, I, I disagree with Ali on that one, too. Uh, you're 4-8 and eight in your last 12 games going all the way back to that Cincinnati Red series where you split it after you beat the Dodgers. And if you look at those games, you look at the two games against the Kansas City Royals. Yeah, you were gotten, you got beat 7 to nothing, but you also didn't play well offensively in that game and if I'm not mistaken there was a couple of defensive miscues in that game wasn't that the game where Oscar Mercado kind of tumbled which one the seven nothing loss to Kansas City uh no that was when he finished the game that was the win actually okay the, uh, the, the Cleveland Guardians game I mean there were multiple situations where you left guys sitting on base so yeah maybe you're not committing the errors like you did in the month of April but you're losing games very similar to the way you were losing games in April where they were close and then you just couldn't get back into it. So the problem right now for this Cardinals team is the snowball effect, and this is why it's the blue season. When one thing goes wrong, everything starts to fall apart. And yeah, you could say with Miles Michaelis, because Miles has pitched admirably over his last four or five starts, that was a game where you look at it and you say, yeah, Pirates got the best of us, we had nothing to give. But your offense was supposed to be the mainstay of this team. And now that whack-a-mole that we're talking about looks way worse than the whack-a-mole that was the starting pitching in the first month of the season. Because you put a bet on that. Interesting, why? You put a bet on that. You you pushed all your chips into the middle and said, our pitching is going to be fine. We're not going to upgrade it. You did upgrade your offense. You did go pay money to Wilson Contreras. You did sit there and say that Dylan Carlson is a piece of our future and Tyler O'Neill is going to be in this and Arenado and Goldie, all of these guys, you bet on that and said, like, this is our winning way. Well, now if you don't hit a home run, you're not winning baseball games. And that seems to be the narrative for this team. That whack-a-mole looks worse on the Cardinals, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it all looks bad. I, I don't know if it's worth kind of going one versus the other, but I... The, the problem is that both are, are existing. Like they, they aren't getting anything that is consistent for them right now. And this goes into the game on, I believe it was Friday. Yeah, Friday night's game where 
you have the issue in the seventh inning. Now, if you weren't watching the game, here's kind of to set up the scene for you. Cardinals are up 5-1. to one. You've got Andre Pallante in the game to start out this inning. Marcano doubles down the line. Uh, he gets a strikeout, and then you've got a walk to Andrew McCutcheon. So you've got two on with one out, and you've got Sawinski that is coming up to the plate. Now, this was kind of a weird situation where when you've got the two on and one out, you're trying to get a ground ball here because you've got runners on first and second. You want that ground ball double play potential there. So they start out that at-bat with Andre Pallante. And the first pitch is a ball, but on that pitch, the Pirates decide to double steal. So they get themselves out of the double play opportunity here. And I'm bringing this up for a reason. They decide to go to the bullpen there. They go to uh, Giovanni Gallegos because once that ground ball double play is no longer a possibility, you don't want Andre Pallante in this spot. I Text us if you guys can remember one, but 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I cannot ever remember another situation where Ollie Marmel went to the pin after the pitcher had already thrown a pitch in that at bat. Now there was specific examples as to why he did this here, but I think it shows the urgency as well. So they decide to go to the bullpen. Giovanni Gallegos comes in to be able to face Sawinski. He ends up walking him. And then you have the blow up inning where they score six runs. They end up losing that game seven to five. And the thing that people remember is, well, he brought in Giovanni Gallegos after that at bat had already started and it ended up snowballing from there. I think it was the right move. I think he pushed all of the right buttons in that inning. What happened? The guy that has been your single most consistent and best reliever all year long blew up in a way that nobody could have foreseen. He ended up making the right moves there, and it didn't work. That is where I think things are very similar to April, where it doesn't really matter what the buttons are that Ollie Marmol pushes right now. I thought he put out the right lineup yesterday. He tried to get his best offense out there against a left-handed pitcher. It didn't end up working because the guys aren't executing. I thought he put the, pushed the right buttons on Friday when it comes to the bullpen. It didn't end up mattering because the guys didn't execute their jobs. And that is where, like, if you wanted to go with why is Ollie wrong on why this does feel like April again, it's because all of the things that you saw then in terms of the right decisions, wrong execution, that's starting to show up once again. And so this is what I wanted to ask you as a follow-up to that, Alex. How would you divvy up the blame in these three areas? The front office, the manager, and the players. How would you divvy that up in terms of why we are where we are with the Cardinals having the worst record in the National League through the first 60 games of the season? I mean, I'm a firm believer in the players are the one that goes out there and puts the product on the field, on the ice. They're the one that performs, and if they're not performing, that's on them. So I would say 50% of this blame has to be on the players, no matter what. I would actually go... I would go 30% on front office and 20% on manager. And the only reason on the front office is because, yes, there were nobody, there were no moves to make in terms of signing free agents, starting pitching wise, that could have helped because everybody is basically on the injured list or stinking this year. But there were trades available to you, and you had the pieces in place for you to make some type of move. I do believe there should be some blame on Ollie because when you're going through something like this, you look towards your manager to guide you out of it. And for some reason, it's not working. And Ollie seems to not have the answers, which in result is going to go into that locker room and they don't have the answers. So that's how I would divvy it up. So I, I would go like 50 players, 40 front office, 10% manager. I don't understand why, like, wh where is the blame specifically for Ollie? 
What What is that coming from? And that, that's what I don't totally understand, Alex, and I would be curious your thoughts on this. I, I can't say that he's blameless because he he's in charge of the team that is struggling the way that they are right now. But what is, like, if you could put one definable thing as to why he deserves more of the blame than what I'm giving him right now, what would you say it is? That, that That's tough. I don't know how to sit there. I, I think it would be the lack of answers from him. And I know he doesn't ha- – I know he can't – What is he supposed to do? I understand that, but other individuals found ways to get this done, and Ollie right now is – in charge of a team that essentially has the same roster with the exception of nope, so no Yachty or Molina. So he was a good manager last year and he's a bad manager this year because of that. Well, that's, like, what, that's I'm a- what I don't understand. Well, that's what I'm asking. How does if, if he, how does one season go from good to worse since 1990s? Because the players aren't performing like that that's the thing is if it was a totally new group so of you're players, saying arenado and goldschmidt have just completely forgot how to hit i mean arenado has been terrible for the most part of this year but goldie's been great and Contreras has just completely forgotten how to hit i don't hit. think that his manager is the reason why he's not hitting well, at and the that's play. the other yeah. thing i'm not it, maybe it's not just the manager maybe it's the managerial staff but or maybe the players just like with the blues aren't performing like I, I think sometimes we look for the easy places to scapegoat people, and so the place that you turn is to the manager or to the coaches. I don't think the problem for the Cardinals right now is the manager or the coaches. I think at some point we have to turn back to the players and say, man, just like Jordan Kyra wasn't performing early in the car or in the blue season, there are a lot of guys that are underperforming right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. And when that happens, man, blame them. Go ahead and give them the criticism. Don't blame the person, but blame the performance. Nolan Arenado's performance has not been up to snuff this year. If the, We saw this in the playoffs last year. If Nolan Arenado is not up to what his expectations are offensively, the Cardinals aren't a great offense. Uh, lately, you haven't seen a whole lot out of Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, or Wilson Contreras. Those guys need to be better. They need to pull their own weight offensively. And you look at the outfield, and the outfield is completely imploded on itself. A lot of that is because of the injury. So I would blame significantly more. I think the biggest piece of the pie should be going to the players right now. Front office deserves some blame, no doubt about it. And if you want to throw Ollie into the mix, I'm more than happy to listen to that argument. I just think that people are, like, the majority of our texts right now are something about firing the manager. I just don't know what that fixes, if anything. I, I don't think there's a whole lot that, that changes in that scenario. And I told you when we were discussing this topic in the office before the show, I am pro-coach all the way because I truly believe the coach can only do so much and then the players have to bring it to the ice. But there is a difference if you lose your group of players. and that's But what, I don't have any reason to believe that that's the case here. I, I'm starting to get worried about that. Uh, you start with the Tyler O'Neill thing, and then you've just made your way down. The Wilson Contreras thing doesn't look good. We found out about the Jordan Walker mindset being weird. The Trez Barrera thing, which makes absolutely zero sense to me. You could do the Taylor Motter point as well of having a player on your roster who you're not utilizing. It's starting to feel more and more like a group of players looking at Ollie saying, man, you got to get this figured out. I want to ask that about Dave, or for, with Dane Perry. He writes about the Cardinals for his birdie work newsletter. He also writes over on CBS Sports as well about the game of baseball. I want to get his thoughts on how he would divvy up the blame for the Cardinals starting out as poorly as they have. Worst record in the National League through 60 games. Dane Perry joins us to discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Dane Perry, who writes for Birdie Work and CBS Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Dane Perry, D-A-Y-N-P-E-R-R-Y. He covers the Cardinals for Birdie Work. Go ahead and check that out. If you go to his Twitter account, you'll see the full link there. Dane, we appreciate the time, man. Certainly didn't expect to be talking to you as the Cardinals uh, are 25 and 35 with the worst record in the National League, but these are the circumstances that we are given. How you doing today, man? I'm okay, man. How about yourself? Uh, doing all right. Wish we could talk about some winning over the weekend. Was kind of expecting that, given the fact that they were going up against a scuffling uh, Pittsburgh Pirates team. Alas, we get a sweep in Pittsburgh for the Cardinals uh, for the first time since 2018. Oh, Dane, I'm going to ask you kind of a big picture question here. What the hell do you make of this Cardinals team? I don't really know. I, I'm kind of baffled by them at this point. I mean, they should be better than they are. You know, they're, you know, look at their run differential and even a little deeper than that, they should be about a 500 team, but even that would be shy of expectations that we had coming into this season. You know, the rotation was a big concern for a long time and it probably still will be over the long haul, but they've been pitching better lately. And now it's the offense and, uh, you know, maybe to a lesser extent, the bullpen that's kind of letting them down. So it just seems like, you know, every loss, it's it's something else being the driver. So it's uh, it's kind of a baffling season so far. Dane, you know, throughout this first couple of months of the season, we're always talking about even though the Cardinals are struggling, the NL Central is bad and it gives them an opportunity to climb back into it. But is it possible in your perspective that the Cardinals could just be one of those bad teams in the NL Central? It's it's looking more and more possible by the day. Uh, you know, when they first started digging their, themselves out of that, you know, 10 and 24 hole they had to start the season, I thought they had found their level. And, uh, you know, we're going to gradually chip away at that. But then, you know, over this recent stretch, which should have been a pretty friendly stretch of schedule, uh, they have failed in a big way, and now they're back in a hole again. And, uh you know, as you mentioned, though, the NL Central is probably their best friend at this point because it's not a strong division. I'd be surprised if the eventual division champion gets to 90 wins. So, you know, it's it's still within the range of possibilities. If they were in, you know, either the East or the West, they'd probably be pretty hopeless right now. But they're in the Central, so all is not lost, even as ugly as it's been. Dane, that being said, like when you, you mentioned the offensive issues that they've had, what do you attribute that to? Because I think people are searching for answers right now, and so they just go to, like, you, you know, the classic things of that the manager is a problem or the roster construction was an issue, whatever it might be. What do you make of their issues offensively? Because it has been remarkably inconsistent this year. They've had moments where it looks really good, but overall it it, it just kind of goes up and down. Yeah, it's it's it seems like one of those issues of not getting everyone firing at one time. You know, it seems like the, there's a slump that hits a portion of the lineup. 
uh, a different portion, I should say, uh, at different times during the season. I mean, we saw Arenado for the first you know weeks of the season looking like a completely different player. He's gotten out of that, but then uh, it's it's kind of taken hold elsewhere. And of course, injuries have struck the outfield, and they're missing Newt Bar at the top of the order. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 a lot of things, and it's just, you know the difficulties with uh, with bases loaded situations. That's not anything that should keep up. I mean, that's probably just an aberration, but it's still affecting their ability to log wins here early in the season, and they've run into some bad luck on batted balls. It's just kind of a perfect storm of things that you know, has caused them to lose close games. What have you seen from Wilson Contreras? Because I feel like he's kind of the guy that gets lost in a lot of this. He's he's now bad and batting average is not everything, but he's he's batting two fifteen and really the biggest issue is he's not hitting for power so far this year. What have you seen from him? You know, the the underlying indicators, the batted ball stuff, the you know, the authority with which he hits the ball still looks pretty good. So I do think he's gonna turn it around at some point. But at some point, those hits need to start falling, and the, you know those, those that hard contact off the bat needs to find grass out there, or you know clear the fence. And so far, that hasn't been happening. I mean, he's you know he's an established hitter who's had a long run of success. I don't think there's any you know like unreported injuries. Otherwise, he wouldn't be hitting the ball hard. Right. I think a lot of it is bad luck, but at some point, that luck needs to turn. Dane, on the outfield perspective for the Cardinals, how much is the inconsistency of guys being available, whether it's Carlson's injury or Newtbar or O'Neill, how much of that do you believe has attributed to the Cardinals' struggle? I think that's part of it. I mean, you know, the roster situation kind of prevented guys from getting consistent reps early in the season, and I think that had a lot to do with the struggles. Then we seem to find a groove, you know, once uh, Carlson kind of settled in as the go-to center fielder and, you know, Newtbar was – being such an OBP guy at the top and then the injuries came and now that's, you know, eroded consistency further. And I think it's affected everybody who's been a part of the outfield mix, you know, first the roster problem and then the injury problems. Dane Perry is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can find his work over at Birdie Work and on Twitter at Dane Perry. Uh, Dane, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we asked you about was the outfield mix that you just referenced there, specifically with Jordan Walker uh, coming back up to the big leagues. What did you see from him over the weekend? It did seem like he was once again on the ground a lot, but it's a three-game sample size, so whatever. What did you see from him this weekend, and what did you make of his success that he had kind of towards the end of his AAA run? You know, he did start to pick up that launch angle a bit, and, you know, he hits the ball hard regardless of where he hits it, and that's the most important thing, and that's the foundation for his future. You know, I did see some encouraging things uh, about his, you know, capacity to kind of put the ball in the air and hit more line drives and fly balls. You know, overall, there were still a number of grounders, and that just, you know, that may be the kind of hitter he's going to be, and you, you can be successful even with those kind of tendencies, but... You know, it's going to be hard to succeed if you hit it on the ground 60% of the time like he did you know, during his first stint in St. Louis. So I kind of want to see them stick with him. Don't you know, toggle him back and forth between Memphis you know, the rest of the way. Let's put him out there and see if he can adjust you know, against pitchers at the highest level, and I think there's some promising signs. Dane, one more big-picture question that I've got for you, and then where the Cardinals sit currently, I think I saw a bet online projection has them at like 77.5 wins by the end of the season. That's changed at the 88.5 that they had at the beginning of the season. Do you see a scenario where the Cardinals look at this trade deadline and say it might benefit us to sell off some pieces rather than try and add? I I don't think so. I just don't think the separation at the top of the division is going to be there unless, you know, they go in the tank even further. 
but I don't. I think they're going to remain within range of the top of the division, at least enough to have them just you know hold their hand at the deadline, as opposed to you know adding significant parts. I don't really see a sell-off in the future uh, this season unless they just com- the wheels just completely come off, even by the standards of the wheels coming off already. I, I'm just fascinated to see what they decide to do there, Dane, because, I mean, as much as I, I've been kind of holding the the steady, even pace, right? I, I I believed that this team was the best in in the Central and that they would figure it out eventually, and it just has not shown to be the case thus far. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if that changes in the near future for them to be able to make a move. Dane, appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. Hopefully uh, we could talk again soon under better circumstances for this team. Okay, thanks for having me, folks. You got it. The same Perry. Uh, he writes the Birdie Work newsletter. You can check that out on his Twitter account, at Dane Perry. Appreciate him hopping on with us, as always. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We also want to get your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, we'll talk a little bit more about what's gone wrong for the Cardinals and why we are where we are today with the worst record for the Cardinals in the National League. Who do you blame? Go ahead and get your mic drops on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get to those coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Questions and answers coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. This one comes from the 314. Why do you guys think they are not playing Oscar Mercado more? Is there anything behind that? Uh, Did you see that catch (laughs) in center field that he made in that Royals win? I think it's pretty simple. He hasn't been very good defensively for them, and that was always going to be his calling card. If he wasn't, if he was going to be a, a player for the Cardinals regularly, and this is why I called for them to go with him for an extended run in the outfield, the idea was, hey, it's good defensively, going to bring some speed on the bases whenever he gets on, and anything he gives you offensively is a plus. And he wasn't good defensively. So when you have a bunch of guys out there that all aren't very good defensively, you're going to go with the ones that are a little better offensively. I think it's really that simple. Yeah, uh, that's and really the offense wasn't to the point where you sit there and say we have to have him in the lineup. So between defense not being there and offense being inconsistent, it just didn't make sense. You were better off going with the outfield combination that you did against the Pirates. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Guys, any revised thoughts on the NBA Finals? After last night, we were able to see the Miami Heat win in Denver. Do you think that the Heat have a real chance here? Uh, I do not. I still think that the Nuggets are going to win this thing in five. I was shocked to see what we did last night, though. Um, For the Miami Heat to win a game in which Nikola Jokic finished with 41 points, I didn't think they had that in them. Uh, I think it is pretty easy to explain. 17 for 35 from beyond the arc. Going to win a whole lot of games when you score more than 50 points from beyond the arc. That's their calling card right now. Offensively, I didn't think Miami had this in them. I thought they would have a chance to be able to kind of muck up the series and make it ugly in a game or two, but I didn't think they were going to be able to win a game like that where they they outshot the Denver Nuggets, and that's a super impressive performance by them. And that's the only way they're going to beat them is by being that dominant from the three-point line. And, and I think they can. 
I think it could be more of a series than you're making it out to be, and they showed that last night, but really it's going to come down to this first game in Miami because if they can set the tone and push Denver back a little bit, that's going to benefit them. But if Denver wins that first game in Miami, man, heads are going to dip. Uh, from the 314, guys on the morning drive, opening drive, Polo said that Yachty wants to be the manager. For what it's worth, that was their text, not my words. Uh, wants to be the manager for the Cardinals. What do you think are the odds of that being the the next replacement at manager for the St. Louis Cardinals? Uh, I would say less than 10%. Yeah, I, Guys, I know everybody's excited about the possibility and... You, within the next year, you're going to see Albert Pujols on TV. He's now doing that regularly. Apparently, he's going to be an MLB Network contributor, and I thought he was really good on the game yesterday. Um, you're going to see Adam Wainwright as one of the best MLB analysts, and it sounds like Yachty wants to do the coaching thing. I don't think it's going to be here. I, I just don't think it's going to be here in St. Louis. So uh, very, very low, very low would be my odds prediction uh, on that. If if Yachty has a change of heart and just in terms of dealing with the media, I think that's going to be the biggest telling point for him because if he's willing to, then and the numbers, the numbers yeah. are, I, I know nobody wants to hear it, but it's true. Like if you don't embrace the numbers, I don't know that you're going to be a manager here in St. Louis. With this regime, yes unless that changes at some point. And I think that's an ownership thing more than it is anything else. Like a, the ownership well, was bought into the numbers maybe very early Until on. your team is, has a worse season since 1907, then maybe the numbers have to change. For 20 years, they seemed to work pretty well. But yeah, I guess I if, Mike if one Schilt year didn't, goes Mike Schilt didn't like the numbers and look at my man roll. I guess it depends on who you uh, who you believe on what happened exactly there. Uh, BK, any thoughts on Mizzou getting Connor Vanover, the uh, the transfer from Oral Roberts? Alex, did you see this yesterday? I did. Seven foot five, big man. So I should be happy, but he's from Oral Roberts. So <laughs> you're the, the team that gave you the hell in the NCAA that ruined tournament. Me. So I, I don't want to make more of this than should be made. He, he's going to be a really solid role player. Like that's who he is. I think some Mizzou fans are way too low on this signing, though. Connor Vanover is seven foot three, rebounds the ball better than what you got last year out of Muhammad Diara, and shoots the ball better than what Noah Carter did for you last year. That's a pretty good profile to add to this team, man. A good rebounder that can play from the outside with Dennis Gates in this system. I, I think he's going to be a really nice piece for them. I think Mizzou has a chance to be a really good team. The big question that I have about this Mizzou basketball team heading into 2023 is this. Who's the go-to guy? Yeah, who fills Kobe Brown's shoes? You're in a crunch time situation. I think you can, over the course of the 40 minutes, kind of fill it up with a bunch of guys averaging a lot of points. Like You could have five guys that end up in double figures on average this year. That's totally possible. When you get to crunch time, who's the one that's taking the shot? Last year, almost in every situation, it was one of two guys. It was DeAndre Colston, because he was just clutch. He was not afraid of the big moment. Or it was Kobe Brown. That's who you were drawing up the play for. Who is it this year? That's something that they still have to get figured out, and that's something I, I don't have the answer to just yet, and I'll be curious to see how that ends up I like out. you got a 7-foot-1 guy, though. That's pretty nice. 7-3. Seven, 7-3? Three. Seven, three. Seven, three, man. Oh, and man. If you, depending on where you look, might be 7-5. Damn. <laughs> Some have him at 7-5. I mean, I like that. That was the one thing I felt like they didn't have last year very much, so... Yeah.
least if you have that now again though like you said my bigger concern is who's filling those browns of kobe brown because that was such a massive player every game and when it was close you knew he was going to take and run the rest of the game and i don't know if you have that yet yeah it's going to be interesting to see coming up in about 15 minutes or so the cardinals finally made the right decision but why did it take so long we'll discuss that coming up in about 15 minutes but next we want to hear from you guys via the rhino shield mic drop feature on the 101 espn app the Cardinals made three big bets in the offseason. All three seem to be failing. Who are you blaming for their struggles this year? We'll get to that coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Cardinals made three big bets in the offseason, in my mind, Alex. Three big ones. Number one, starting pitching is going to be A-OK. We got all the answers we need internally. Who said that? Adam Wainwright's coming back. We've got Jordan Montgomery here. Jack Flaherty's going to take a big step forward. We'll we'll be good to go. Matthew Libertor's on the way. Hey, Dakota Hudson, have you guys seen him? He changed the way that he goes about viewing the game of baseball. He's going to be great for us in 2023. Stud. Steven Matz, it's a comeback season for him, coming off the injury. Everything's going to be A-OK. That has obviously not gone according to plan. Big bet number two, Wilson Contreras, man. Have you guys seen this guy hit? He is going to be the missing link in our lineup because we are finally going to get some offensive contributions from the catcher spot in a way that we really haven't since Yadier Molina was in his prime. Well, so far this season, he has a worse OPS on the season than what you have been getting out of Andrew Kisner. His slugging percentage among Cardinals, here is the entire list of players with a lower slugging percentage this year than Contreras. Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, end of list. Certainly not what they were expecting from Contreras behind the plate. No, by the way, that's not even to mention the fact that he was replaced as a catcher for like a 10-day stretch. Big bet number three. The internal options in the outfield are going to be good enough, and we don't need to go out there and make any changes to this group. Well, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar are all on the IL right now. Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill both have an OPS below 630 on the season. Tyler O'Neill was called out publicly by his manager for not hustling enough and now has spent a month on the injured list with a mysterious, questionable injury with his back. back. And in the past week, the Cardinals outfield has hit 143, which is the lowest of any major or lowest of any outfield in the majors. Alex Cardinals made three big bets in the offseason and all three right now, if you had to give returns on their investment are F's. That's the biggest thing that has gone wrong for the Cardinals this year. You mentioned what changed from last year. Well, these are the things that changed or didn't change for right or wrong. And these are the things that right now are leading them to having the worst record in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and it's I, I would start with the outfield because that's the probably most pressing issue because as much as the starting pitching, I mean, you had a you have a better starting pitching staff this season than what you had last year. Uh, last year, uh, I mean, you had... Flair- At the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, Flaherty was out. Michaelis was your best starter. You didn't have Jordan Montgomery. You were using a Dakota Hudson, and Wayno was pitching much better than what he is right now. But, like, on paper, you look at it, and you say, this is this should be a significantly better starting pitching staff than what you had last year, and it has not been. But the outfield is the bigger issue, because last season it was a 1-2-3 punch. Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, and even without Tyler O'Neill performing... 
you still had the defense that solidified everything and you still had contrib- con- contributions from those guys. Now you have nothing. At least you had Lars Neupar over there for a short period of time and Jordan Walker, but then Jordan Walker was sent down and brought back up. And now you've got Brendan Donovan in left field and Tommy Edmond playing center. This is just a island of misfit toys right now of trying to figure out your outfield. That is the more pressing issue for this Cardinals team. And as much as I'd love to see some type of a starting pitcher to come in, you might have to figure out what the hell you're going to do with this outfield because Randall Grichik, not Randall Grichik, because not only this season, what's it going to look like next year? Because you are not going into next season saying, well, Tyler O'Neill's our left fielder and Dylan Carlson's our right fielder. I mean, one of them is going to be Jordan Walker. Another one is probably going to be Lars Newbar. And so you really have one spot to work with. And that, like, that's the thing that's so difficult about this is this was supposed to be the start of the Cardinals winning window. You are supposed to right now be entering what is kind of a two to three year stretch where you're you're viewing yourself as a real contender in the National League because you've got the two guys on the corners. You have now fixed, or at least they believed, fixed your hole that you had going into the offseason at catcher. And you have outfielders where you're trying to attack this thing by numbers. Even if Tyler O'Neill didn't work out, well, we've got other options that maybe could be able to step up for him. That's where Jordan Walker comes in. Or if Dylan Carlson isn't the greatest in center field, well, we've got Lars Newbar who can play out there. And even if in a break glass in case of emergency situation happens, well, we've still got Dylan, or, uh, Brendan Donovan that can play out there in a pinch. We could go ahead and do that. Unfortunately for them, all of these options have failed at least to some degree or are hurt like Lars Newbar is right now. And so when you you get to the end of the road here, it's like, man, what do you do? Like, if you're in John Mosaloc's shoes, how how do you approach this? And this brings up the question that both Jeff Passan of ESPN and Andy McCullough of The Athletic have brought up over the last couple of weeks. Jeff Passan wrote, front office executives are split on whether Jack Flaherty could be traded before the deadline. And then he continued by saying, One uh, NL executive wondered if Paul Goldschmidt could be somebody that ends up on the move, though with a full no trade clause, he would need to be on board before any kind of a move could happen. Then today, Andy McCullough wrote this from the outside looking in, it would make a lot of sense for St. Louis to explore offers for Paul Goldschmidt. Goldie has one year left on his contract and continues to mash the baseball. He could fetch a haul in July, but that would also reduce the team's chances of competing in 2024, and it could demoralize an already frustrated fan base, end quote. Again, that came from Passan and McCullough. This is where things get really difficult, is the Cardinals aren't a seller in the traditional sense. You can't move core pieces because it then changes the way that your roster is constructed for 2024 in a way that is harmful to the overall construction of this roster. This team is not and will not trade Paul Goldschmidt. I would be shocked if that happens. That's not the route that this team ever goes. And so, Alex, when you look at the way that John Mosaloc has to approach the rest of this season, what do you do? I don't know. I mean, it does feel like it's time to take a step back if you're John Mosaloc. And You've been preaching that this is the open of this winning window for at least a year now because it felt like they believed that this was the start of it, but last year was like the opener for the start of the winning window. And if this is the open of your winning window, you've got all these core pieces that you're relying upon and they're not getting any younger moving forward and they're not performing right now. What makes you believe that in one offseason, just doing it and running it back, it's going to change? 
I'm the same way. You can't trade Paul Goldschmidt because that just makes your team significantly worse. I can't believe people are actually suggesting that. I I can't either, but does it bring you enough back in the starting pitching realm that you sit there and say, hey, maybe it 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 fixes that problem? And we've talked about all of these bats that you're trying to feel the figure it out in terms of how does Burleson fit into this? Can Gorman be the first baseman? What about Jordan Walker? No, you're not you're not trading Paul Goldschmidt. Well, then you're just gonna run it back. Yeah. Then you're going to continue to do this year after year after year. Well, this is where it gets, I I think, really frustrating for me personally is like, I I think everybody wants like the quick fix, right? Well, just trade them all. Fire everybody. Okay, cool. Like, great. Do that. Now what? Now what are you left with? Now you're going into the offseason, and this is an organization that does not spend the way that the Phillies do. They don't spend the way the Dodgers do. They don't spend the way the Yankees do. So what are you getting to fix that? Imagine this team right now without Paul Goldschmidt. You have no present. You have no future. That's the truth. Like you now have an aging veteran superstar in Nolan Arenado where this season, at least based on what we've seen so far, it could go down as his worst season of his major league career offensively for him. That's now your stalwart. And now I'm building around that and Nolan Gorman. And that's kind of it. We we don't know what the future is going to hold for Jordan Walker. He may end up being great. He may end up being a really solid major leaguer. So I'm trading an MVP candidate in Paul Goldschmidt to take a significant step back and then with the promise of what exactly? Five years from now, maybe they get the return on investment for Goldie. It, I, I, If you want to end up being a seller at the trade deadline, the places that you sell from are your pending UFAs. Go ahead and trade Jack Flaherty, trade Jordan Montgomery, trade some of these pieces from the bullpen, and you can reconstruct the pitching going into the offseason. This offense, though, and this is where things get really hard, and it's why the Cardinals have to make some difficult decisions, the place that they can actually restructure thing in the offseason is in the outfield. Your infield is set, dude. This is not changing any time in the foreseeable future. Maybe, unless you're going to have to move some of these infielders to get you something. Because we've talked about potentially having to move a Tommy Edmund but even then, or it's a Brendan Donovan. Because Mason Wynn is coming up. You have Nolan Gorman. But you have like Brendan Mason Wynn is going to step in and be this guy that's going to save it and bring offense. I mean, look but at Jordan Walker not, right now. I'm not pretending that. I'm, I think that defensively, he's really good. Like he, I don't think that he's going to be a whole lot d- different offensively than what Tommy Edmund is, for example, early on in his major league career. But we're not talking about defense at shortstop hurting this team. We're talking about lack of offense And that's right why now. I go to the outfield. Like you, 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 eventually the Cardinals have to figure out their outfield, and they haven't done it now for seven years. You're going to have to figure your outfield out, but you have one, two starting pitchers next year. One of them you actually trust next year in this rotation. And again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here, so don't get angry at me. But you're not winning with no, Paul. No, but I, I, I think that, like, I'm not mad at you, but I, I think the idea of the Cardinals trading Paul Goldschmidt, like, it's just this shiny object that, I, honestly, I don't even know where it came from other than the fact that he only has one year left on his contract. I, I think it's coming be- because it's a valuable trade piece that could garner you something in return to quick start this. But, like, what? Like what? Okay. Well, that's the thing. Let I, me go down this hypothetical path with you. Even though I, there's a 0% chance of this happening, and they shouldn't do this, but if they did, okay, Cardinals are accepting offers on Goldie. What are they asking for? That ends up making them tangibly better. Well, that's I, I would imagine if you're the Cardinals, you're looking for either some type of quick fix to the outfield in terms of a young player, a top prospect, or on the pitching side of things. Okay. 
So you've got a pitching prospect, which breaks. They've got a lot of those right now in the system. Or you've they don't got have a- top prospects in the system. They've got prospects in the system. Tinkins is a top prospect. He's a top 50 prospect in I, baseball. Doesn't sound like he's going to be an ace, though. I mean, very few guys are. Like, there's, what, six, seven guys that you would consider to be an ace in Major well, League welcome Baseball? Welcome to talent evaluation, which this team has not right. been good at either. I, I mean, it's it's really hard to produce an ace from your system, and it's really hard to acquire those guys, and when they become available, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars, and that's why it's this team hasn't done it. And I think it's fair to be critical of them for that, but, like, if you're talking about trading Paul Goldschmidt, you're not getting that in return. You're just not. You're getting the, the hope, the belief, the maybe – of something like that happening three, four, five years down the road. But this team is not somebody that operates in a way where they're talking about three, four, five years down the road. Nor should they, honestly. This fan base deserves better, and they demand better than that. So I, this is this is not a team that is going to just fold it in. This would... I can't I can't remember something similar to this. What we're talking about here with Paul Goldschmidt potentially being on them, especially at the trade deadline. Th- those guys don't get moved at the deadline with a year and a half of club control. Aging superstars that are in the midst of maybe the best po- portion of their career. Well, doesn't happen. And to push back on the Goldschmidt narrative because I, I'm the denier on that one also. It's not going to happen, but yeah, it's just playing the other side of this. The reason that it's not going to happen, you think Nolan Arenado is going to be cool with that? Nolan, if you trade Paul Goldschmidt, who would have to agree to the no trade, well, welcome to the destruction of your core pieces because Nolan Arenado is not going to want to be around if you're no. trading away Paul Goldschmidt because there goes the winning window that you probably sold to him in the offseason. So now you're just relying upon Gorman and Walker and Wynn and all of these young pitching prospects. Welcome to being the Pittsburgh Pirates. 314-399-9646 is the aircraft for service exxon. Last thing on this from the 314. Guys, it sounds like BK is doing what he always does. He has tons of excuses but doesn't have any solutions. And this, therein lies the problem with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023. There's a lot of explanations, a lot of excuses. There are no solutions, guys. The solution is this. Nolan Arenado starts hitting. Wilson Contreras starts hitting. They figure out a way by the trade deadline to be back into contention, and they trade for a legitimate number one starter. That's the solution. That was always the solution. The problem is, and this is why I put most of the blame on the players, and I know here coming up here in just a little bit, we'll hear from you guys on the the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app of what it is specifically that you guys are blaming. The reason why I blame the players is because of what we're talking about right now. Did the roster construction have some questions with it? Sure. But Wilson Contreras should be hitting better than this. Nolan Arnato should be hitting better than this. You should not have this many issues in your bullpen right now. That's a player problem. That's a personnel issue in terms of what they're doing once they get onto the field. And there's nothing that Ollie Marmel can do to fix that. There's nothing now that John Mosellock can do to fix that. So I, I, I just, I, I feel like I'm kind of between a rock and a hard, not me, the Cardinals are between a rock and a hard place here where it's like, okay, cool. Everybody wants changes. What are the changes that actually change what we're watching right now? They don't exist. Coming up next, Cardinals did make one move over the weekend. It's not going to change a whole lot, but it's about time that they did it. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. (laughs) 
alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. This will be my last segment today. You guys will be with Alex and Grant for the rest of the show. Do want to hear from you guys. The mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. The Cardinals did finally make a change over the weekend. They brought up Luke and Baker. Now, it took an extra few days, but they did decide to call him up. Uh, I don't totally understand why it took as long as it did, but regardless, they they made the decision and they corrected the wrong from earlier this year. This gets back to the the point that we were making in the last segment. They don't have really like significant changes that they can make to this roster. Somebody on the text line uh, brought up the the solution can't be Mason Wynn. It's got to be something bigger than that. And I I do agree with that. Like it, Mason Wynn is not the solution for the problems that plague this Cardinals team. The problems that plague the Cardinals team, though, are internal. The outfield has to produce. They need Nolan Arenado to be better. They need Wilson Contreras to be better. And if those things don't happen, then they're selling off probably uh, their free agents to be at the deadline. And then you get into the offseason, and then it becomes an offseason discussion about what you can do. You can't overhaul this team at the trade deadline. It's just not the way that they're constructed. I did want to hear from you guys, though. The mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. Who do you blame for where they're at right now? The Cardinals have the worst record in the National League. They're 25 and 35, and they have not been this low in the standing since 1999. So who do you blame for where they stand right now? Let's hear from Randy. I think it comes down to upper management. We always talk about the Cardinal way and the voodoo magic, but when I look back on it, it really is a product of two good managers. You had Whitey Herzog and Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan, and they were primarily responsible for your success um you had a guy that seemed to follow in the footsteps of mike schilt but they didn't want the resistance so i think the blame has to go on them they built this roster for uh, a bunch of jack of all trades and you know so you get a master of none which is uh what they have I'm gonna read you some names real quick i was just thinking the same thing <laughs> They were only made because of Whitey Herzog and Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan. Albert Bulls, Only because of Tony La Russa. Edgar Renteria. Only because of Tony La Russa. Scott Rowland. Tony La Russa. Ray Lankford. Tony La Russa. Jim Edmonds. Tony La Russa. Reggie Sanders. Tony La Russa. Larry Walker. Tony. Uh, Chris Carpenter. Really, this seems to be a Walt Jockety conversation. Yeah, like <laughs> the teams were talented, dude. The teams were really freaking talented talented how many hall of famers did you just name like tom her ozzy smith uh willie mcgee keith hernandez um bob forsh uh john stuper bruce suter like what are we doing guys it's about the players it is was Whitey Herzog, an amazing manager, absolutely. And he had a very specific identity with which he wanted to play. I respect the hell out of that man, and he will know more baseball, or he will forget more baseball today than I will know in my entire life. Because Whitey was awesome. But Whitey was a guy who relied on the players because the players make every manager better or worse. You know who's a really great manager this year, Alex? Bruce Boshi. Mm-hmm. Cardinals are about to see his team down in Texas this uh, the next three days. And he's getting a lot of credit for the fact that he's kind of got this Texas Rangers team back on track. You know what really got the Texas Rangers back on track? Like $500 million? They completely overhauled their rotation. Completely overhauled it. And does Boshi deserve some credit for, like, 
keeping things steady and making sure that guys are prepared. The Absolutely. You need a good manager. Well, and it's even beyond the, the rotation. I mean, they, they signed two of the biggest free agents in back-to-back off seasons in Simeon and Corey Seager. Yeah. The, the, the Rangers are really good because they have awesome players right now. That's the truth. And also, they're well-managed. That is the additional thing that you can have. Ollie Marmol can only do so much to either hurt or to help the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's something that I get really frustrated about is like, is he a part of the problem? You could maybe make the case that he is. The biggest problem, though, for them is the players. Well, right and that's, I, I mean, as much as, because I pushed back on that earlier today, saying, like, look at the talent that they've got. Like, you can't keep saying that these guys needs good dudes to win. They have good dudes. The pushback on that is, but all of those good dudes are injured. I mean, Tyler O'Neill was supposed to be one of those big bats. Well, he's been injured and inconsistent. Dylan Carlson was supposed to be that big bat. Well, he's been injured. Lars Nupar was that guy for you, but then got injured. Goldie and Arenado have been it. Contreras has not been good for you so far. So they're either not performing or they're not on the field for this team. So, I mean, as much as you can sit there and say, well, the, the manager's not getting the best, or, oh, well, the general manager of the front office is making the moves. Well, they did make the moves, but now you're not seeing the performance from the players. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kiley. I will talk to you guys tomorrow at two or at 11 a.m. Alex has some blues talk coming up for you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. BK has gotten out of here. We'll be, he'll be back with us tomorrow. Tanner Hendrickson will be back with us tomorrow as well. So now until the end of our show, it's the Francis and Ferrario show. We've got you covered. Katie Wu's going to join us uh, at 1.30 to talk a little bit more about this Cardinals team as they get set for this Rangers series. But let's switch into a little hockey talk because I do think something significant took place over the weekend for the St. Louis Blues, and that's Zachary Bolduc winning the Memorial Cup. And for those that might be listening and not knowing what the Memorial Cup is, it's essentially the national champion championship for all of the Canadian Hockey League. So all of the junior leagues, the OHL, the WHL, and the QMJHL, all all of those teams compete for the Memorial Cup. And this is after Zachary Bolduc's team won their cup in their juniors league. So significant honors for him, and it's not just he won it, he picked up a goal in it on the power play. He finished his season with 110 points in 61 games, 50 goals, and then in the playoffs he had 18 games, 11 goals, 19 points, and then of course scored one of the four goals in the Memorial Cup. Now why do I bring this up? I bring this up because this offseason, I was thinking about this prior to him winning the Memorial Cup, but now it becomes even more of a question of how does Zachary Bolduc play into the plans for the Blues, Grant? Because you've got a 20-year-old kid who basically dominated juniors for the last two seasons. Last year, 55 goals and 99 points. This season, 50 goals and 110 points and wins the cup that they didn't win last year in his junior leagues and then wins the Memorial Cup. So for all of that for Zachary Bolduc, that's a feather in his cap. Doug Armstrong and the coaching staff essentially told Zachary Bolduc in the last preseason and last training camp, we need you to go focus on other elements of your game that don't include scoring goals. Frankly, we need you to be more of a player that we can rely on in games rather than just coming in and scoring goals. And for all intents and purposes, it seems he did that from everybody that's talked about that from the Junior Hockey League. So Zachary Bolduc is on a trajectory to be a part of this team next season. 
But I asked the question of how he fits in because do you want another Jordan Cairo on your team? Be great to have another 75, 80 points, but there are some growing pains that come into this. And this is the conversation that Doug had last year at the trade deadline of saying, like, we're not going to be putting these young players in positions that are going to set them up for failure. They're going to succeed. And if it's not at the NHL, it's going to be at the American Hockey League. So Bolduc's an intriguing one. It's very interesting, too, because if you think about the Blues prospects, we were talking about this a little bit before the show. Where would you rank Bolduc amongst your prospects? Because I think both of us agree that he'd be behind Jimmy Snuggery. Yeah. So it brings up an interesting conversation because you're at a point right now where his trade value probably as a prospect is not going to get any higher. He just scored a goal in the championship game to win the championship in his league. If you're going to think about trading him, now would probably be the time ahead of this draft especially. But do you want to look into that and knowing that you have a player that put up 110 points in 61 games and continued to be more than a point-per-game player in the playoffs? I I don't know if – I want people to understand, we're not just throwing Bolduc's name out there to trade him just to trade them. Right. The reason you'd be trading a Zachary Bolduc this offseason is because, one, you look at the – the, the time frame of when you feel like he can impact your team, and you compare that to what you can receive in the offseason. Whether he is a piece of the puzzle, if you want to trade up in the draft, the Athletic had their tiers and added a couple of players to it. So essentially, tier two in this draft is Fantilli, Carlson, Mikoff, and Will Smith. So you've got four guys there on top of Bedard, who's going number one. So you're talking about one through five getting these top two tier team or players. From there, you're talking, I think it, BK said, and, and if I remember correctly, it was six to like 16 is that next tier. That's where you'd be drafting. So a player that has been really good in the queue, won the Memorial Cup, and looks like he's getting more and more mature for the NHL level, does his time frame match up with when you want to compete? Or is there a player in this draft that you feel like can impact faster? Because that's the first question, if I'm Doug, I'm asking, because he said on Friday at that uh, meeting with the press, trading up in the draft is going to cost more than just picks. It's going to be something of significance to the other team. That's where Bull Duke comes into play. Yeah, and I remember going back to uh, the end of the season press conference when Doug Armstrong said right now he feels that they're about at the 50-yard line and they're going towards the offensive area of the field. That's where he feels this team is at right now. So when it comes to next season, I'm not saying that the Blues aren't going to be competitive this next season to maybe squeak into the playoffs or try to at the end of the season. But you're not looking at a team that's going to be contending towards the end of the playoffs next season if they make it more than likely. So in terms of impacting next season, you know, Bolduc, yeah, he's on the track to probably be here next season, but it's just going to be more of an experience for him. His rookie year, obviously getting that experience, it's going to be the years after that that you're really looking forward to Zachary Bolduc. And it seems like that would fit the timeline for this team. And Jimmy Snuggerud coming right behind him, probably. I'd say he probably won't be here next season, I would think. It feels like he'd be more of the year after that right. that he'd be coming in. But it feels like maybe in two years, that's where this team is going to look at being competitive again. So in terms of the timeline for Bolduc, it feels like it's a pretty decent fit. Here's this scenario in which I would consider trading to move up in the draft. If Fantillier Carlson dropped a four. And I don't know if that's going to happen because we've seen the projections of, you know, can does Mikoff go? Does Will Smith get some love? Does the defenseman get some love? But if one of those two become available at four where San Jose says they're willing to listen... 
That's where I make the trade. And the only reason why is because those are centermen that are six foot two, six foot three. And Doug kind of described this at our meeting last Friday of sometimes you draft boys that become men and sometimes you draft men that become men. And he's like, we've seen guys that you draft at 18, 19 years old that already should be considered 24, 25 years old in the NHL, mindset-wise, body frame-wise. To me, that's Fantilli and Carlson, two guys that are built, stocky centermen. Bolduc, smaller stature, probably going to start off as a winger, maybe can be a centerman down the path for you. It's the only scenario I consider it, because I'm not going to move a Bolduc to get a Mikoff or a Will Smith or anything like that, because those players are still going to take 10 to 24 months like Doug established and i'd rather take the chances of this getting there and andrew brought up a great point on the text line his power play one timer is very impressive so that's that scenario the other scenario and nobody will know this other than doug and his team when they get phone calls is who's calling with nhl players yeah because there will be a team that looks at it and says we need to take a step back too and we need to ship somebody out who's not making sense to bring somebody in who could make sense for us down the road and that's where the bull duke thing could come into play also i still go back to what i've been saying all along approaching this draft if you're going to move up and you're going to erase those bottom two picks by moving up and basically combining all of them to get a higher uh first pick in the draft you better be damn sure that that's your guy yep because my thing is is the blues have been so good at drafting over the years that you have these three first round draft picks in a generational draft if you draft with all three of those picks, chances are you're going to find a player that's going to impact you pretty soon and in a big way. If you don't and you do move those two picks and combine them into one, what if that player is a miss? Yep. What if he's a bust? Then you've just screwed yourself out of three picks. One of them likely is going to hit and you watch these players that you could have draft develop into these huge players and you miss on it because you had one guy that you were focused on that didn't end up turning into that player. That's where I get a little bit nervous with trading up for these picks, and I don't know I'd do it. And I'm with you. I highly doubt that they, the Blues, would make that decision. If, if I were Doug, the only way I'm doing this is if Antilles there at four, yeah. and I don't see any way that happens. Me either. So I look at this and say, let's 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 see what happens with all of this. And if I got to trade the first round picks for an NHL player, because this is the other factor into it, too. If Bolduc's on the NHL team, which my gut's going to tell me more of the season's going to be spent in the AHL before the NHL. But if you're playing in the NHL, you're playing in a bottom six role. And we know how Craig Burby likes to use his bottom six more of a physical. Now, there is more offense these days because that's how the NHL is trending. But. It's going to be a different role for Zachary Bolduc, and that's why the patience comes into that rather than being too greedy and trying to move up with all of these assets that don't result in something. But it is very, if there ever was trade stock or trade value in a prospect, Bolduc's is probably at its all-time high right now. And Doug talked about how in the past, the draft mentality is never to pick a spot that you need. It's to draft the best available player. And if you have a lot of them, you talked about when they had Eric Johnson and Alex Petrangelo and a couple of other defensemen in the minors, David Runeblad was one of them. That was the offseason that they traded Runeblad in the draft for Vladimir Tarasenko. You trade from something you have a lot of rather than a little of. The other thing, too, and we're learning it's not about offense in the postseason. It's about the same thing that it is every year, Grant, defense and goaltending. And I know everybody, save your texts. Defense is the first area you got to fix. Doesn't seem like they're going to be able to fix that this offseason. But goaltending, and you brought up a really interesting point with BK and I in the office, 
goaltending is an area that we've talked about the Blues can thrive with Jordan Binnington, but this postseason more than ever, it's starting to show that Jordan Binnington doesn't have to be the savior this upcoming season. It's been really interesting because you look at the goaltenders that are having success right now in the playoffs. You look at Aiden Hill, even Laurent Brossois for a little while. You look at Sergei Bobrovsky, the two goaltenders in the Stanley Cup Finals right now. They didn't play hardly at all during the regular season, especially Sergei Bobrovsky. Sergei Bobrovsky didn't even start the playoffs for the Panthers. It was Alex Lyon against the Bruins until he got yanked and Bobrovsky came in and was the savior. But these goalies didn't play a whole lot in the regular season. Even some other goaltenders like uh, Philip Grubauer. He was a nobody this season for the Seattle Kraken. It was Martin Jones all year. And then all of a sudden Grubauer <laughs> comes into the playoffs. Is He's outstanding. And I also go back to what Jordan Bennington did last season in the playoffs. Because he went through that yeah. really rough stretch Billy during Huso. the regular season. It was Vili Huso for a while. And when he struggled in the playoffs and Bennington came in, he was lights out. It's looking more and more like you don't have to have Andre Vasilevsky in net to win in the playoffs. You just need a goalie that has a little bit of rest under his belt. Because when you, I mean, I think of Connor Hellebuck. The guy has just played all season long, 60 games a year. Yeah. And then come playoffs, he's gassed and usually out of the, in the first round. Well, look at Toronto. They, they used exactly. Sam Sonoff all year because Matt Murray wasn't healthy. And then they basically had to go to Joseph Wool, who played well, but you get exhausted by then. I think the backup goaltender role is one of the most underrated role in all of sports and hockey. Because if you have a goalie that can, I don't want to say split games, but I even think back to what the Islanders did when they went to the conference finals two years in a row. They really did split games between Thomas Grice and Robin Leonard for a while there, and it worked. And these goalies, they, they go into the playoffs, they're well-rested, they're playing their best hockey of the season, and they're allowed to do that because they have the rest under their belt. So I think Joel Hofer going into next season, it could be huge if he could get a lot of games in and play it a, a good enough role to where Jordan Bennington can, can have a little bit of that rest and save him a little bit towards the end of the season to where he can be that player. You know, if the Blues are one of the teams that are pushing for the playoffs at the end of the year, that could be one of the most underrated aspects of the game. I'm, I'm with you, and that's why the people that have brought up trade proposals that involve Joel Hofer, although intriguing, it would surprise me if the Blues did that because they view Joel Hofer as somebody who can be a number one, and that's why this offseason or this season coming up could be more of a, I don't want to say 50-50 split, but a 60-40 split in favor of Bennington to your point where when one goes through a little bit of a slump, the other steps in and it's not a goaltending controversy. It's a needs a little bit of rest. And then the other guy steps in. We're, we're long past the days of Grant Fear playing 81 yeah. games. This is going to be a back and forth combo, but nine times out of 10, the successful teams have that one-two punch. I know Boston didn't go far, but Boston utilized both guys all season. That's how teams best other teams in the regular season to make the playoffs, and then you rely on one goaltender to take you the rest of the way. He's Graham Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are going to get into a junk drawer story coming up next because, boy, I had an issue with something over the weekend. Oh boy. We'll discuss that after this here on 101 ESPN. To the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a week. 
All right, so I got a problem. Alongside Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. I know shocker. everybody's... Yeah, exactly. It's what everybody's going to say on the text line. Oh, shocker. Ferrario's got some type of issue with somebody. No, I, I want to ask the listeners if I'm handling this the right way because, frankly, it's getting to the point of just rage and I got to find a way to, like, temper this. So my wife and I bought a washing machine over the Memorial Day weekend. We needed a new one. The old one that we had when we bought the house, it was worn down, needed something new. So we figured we had a nice deal from X company. Not going to say the company's name, but we bought it. They told us that it would be delivered and they'll set it up, blah, blah, blah. So they came out yesterday to deliver and hook up the lawn or the washing machine. So I walked them down there, showed them where it was. They took the old one out, installed the new one. No problem. Now, I don't like to stand over people's shoulders while they're working in my house because I've been that guy before. Like when I did pest control, it bothered the hell out of me when people followed me around the house. Cause like, I promise you, I'm not gonna like scapegoat your job. I'm gonna do it, but please don't follow me. Surprise, surprise, Ferrari doesn't, doesn't wanna talk to people. I just wanna let people do their job. So he was downstairs installing it. I was upstairs doing the dishes, helping my wife with the daughters. He comes up, he says, everything's fine got it going through a load sign here for me please walked out the door left no problem i assumed it's like all right cool so did our business walked downstairs basement was flooded good basement i mean water was everywhere all over the laundry room and then it leaked into the kids playroom where we have carpet good 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 part of this is on me because i probably should have stood down there with him and watched it to go in and make sure it was good it was leaking from the part at the bottom where the hose i don't think it's the hose i think it's something wrong with the washing machine can i guess where this is going yes did he say since you signed it it's not our problem yes yeah saying we hooked it up properly you signed so there's nothing we can do so now I've got two different conversations I'm having. One conversation is the claims department to come out because we're worried that mold is underneath the carpet. And obviously that's a problem because it's the kids room. And the other is, well, we still don't have a bleeping washing machine. And I don't know, you don't have kids grant. Maybe you will someday. Here's the issue. I got two kids that puke all over all of their clothes. So laundry piles up fast in my house. Like uh, we probably need to do another load and we did a load three days ago and I still haven't gotten a phone call from X company. I did the calm thing. You know, you attract more bees with honey than with, with um, vinegar. Sure. Tried the nice approach. They said they'd get somebody on the phone so they come out and handle this. I've heard crickets. So now, do I call and lose my mind or do I call and just continue to try with honey? Because my wife's frustrated too. Cause like I said, laundry's piling up. Okay, can you go to this place and have a conversation in person? No. No. It's a larger company. Okay, I, I feel like what I would do, I would play the poor me scenario. And I, I maybe I dream something up too to make it even more dramatic. But I call and I give the saddest sob story about something that went wrong with it. Make them feel as sorry for me as possible so that they feel a little bit more like they want to come help. And that's what I told my wife, too. She's like, well, I'll call today. I said, no, you already got to deal with the girls. I'll call when I get off the air because it gives them the 24 hours that they told me. But it's... I always hate this when you have to complain because it's like, oh, I'm more important than yeah. hundreds of other people that are dealing with this. But on the flip side of that, 
this is on you. Like you hooked it up and it was hooked up improper. And now I got water everywhere and no washing machine. Cause this wouldn't be a problem if the washing machine was the old one was still there. Cause I just hooked that one up. Cause I know that one worked. Whether oh, did they it was, take that one away? Yeah, they took it away oh. because they took the old one and put the new one in. So have you just been like hand washing clothes recently? Well, we haven't done any wash because luckily we oh, did the wash my. like three days ago, but like we're at the point of no return. Like, Laundry baskets are starting to pile up, so I got to get a hold of somebody. I, I do the one more sob story, and if that doesn't work, then I'm calling the higher up, and then I'm going off. Okay. Then it's full rage. That's good. Yeah, I, I feel gonna, like that's warranted and, at that And I'm point. getting a lot of people texting in saying, rage on Alex, because this, this is unacceptable. That's good, because despite what people believe, yes, I seem like I'm kind of an a-hole every once in a while. I try not to be because people are trying to do their job. Customer service sucks. There's nothing worse than you call and complain to somebody who has no control over that. But I also hate the fact that this is not getting accomplished. So you're stuck in the... This is the part of adulting that I hate. This is the part of adulting where I look back and say, I could just go back to being... 15 years old and my bigger concern was not getting into a car accident take that every day of the week that would be nice well instead now i got to deal with no washing i might have to go back to the old days of hand washing it and putting it on a clothesline in my backyard could you go somewhere to a friend's or a family member's who probably. has a lot okay probably so, so the, but it's inconvenient yeah, i was gonna say i have to load up the entire backseat of my car with clothes but Welcome to being a parent with no washing machine. He's Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. So those are my problems. Let's see if I get it taken care of before tomorrow's junk drawer. Coming up next, Adam Wainwright is seeing if he can take care of the issues that have been plaguing him all season long. And boy, does this Cardinals team need it tonight. We'll discuss that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The little moments I'm not winning right now, the, the probably three pitches a game that sway you to a, to have a two ERA instead of a six is what I'm, you know, it's really only three, four pitches a game. And I'm losing all those right now. So those kinds of things, if I continue my process, continue working, those things, those things change. And, you know, I'll go on a run here soon where I'll go a month without hardly giving up a run. And y'all will say, what's the difference? And I'll say, just kept with the process. So, so that was Adam Wainwright after the last start that he had against the Kansas City Royals and alongside Grant Francis I'm Alex Ferrario Grant in as BK had to take off for the day he'll be back with us tomorrow Tanner will be back with us tomorrow as well Adam Wainwright takes the mound later on this evening when the Cardinals take on the Texas Rangers and if you've ever needed an Adam Wainwright stopgap moment it's this one. And the reason we came back with that audio is because this is what Adam Wainwright's been saying. He's sticking with the process. Adam Wainwright's not changing anything about his game at this point of his career. It's that final season. It's gotten him to this point. He's made all of the changes prior or post Achilles injury that he had. And look at what he's done in that second half of his career. Now, Adam Wainwright has had a couple of good starts. That start against the Dodgers, that looked like he was building towards something. Five and two-thirds inning, five hits, two earned runs, had three walks and one strikeout. Then it dipped against the Cincinnati Reds, and if you remember that one, that's the one where he left right before the sixth inning, five earned runs, eight hits. This last start he had against the Royals, where you just heard that, was a good start, but it didn't put him in a spot to succeed. Now, some of that's on the offense when you basically were no hit by the Kansas City Royals, but five innings, nine hits, three earned runs, six strikeouts. That's what you want 
from a five starter. Where the Cardinals are at now, though, is they need somebody to do CPR to this team. They need somebody to go out there and shut it down. And this is about as tall of a task as you can ask for Adam Wainwright because you're taking on the best offense right now in Major League Baseball in the Texas Rangers. In runs, in home runs, in power, the Texas Rangers are doing it all right now. So it, it seems difficult to say, but man, if there was ever a time from Adam Wainwright to continue to preach that he's here to help this team succeed, it's tonight against this Texas Rangers squad where your bullpen's been going through it, your offense can't figure itself out. You need Adam Wainwright as big as Adam Wainwright has ever been tonight. It feels like, too, doesn't it, that this is one of those series that the Cardinals are going to take two of three. It just feels oh, like yeah. that. Like, going through what they just went through with the Pirates, like, it feels like they are going up against a Rangers team who should just pound them into the dirt after what we saw in Pittsburgh. And it feels like this is one of those series where, for some reason they'll take two of three and it'd be so awesome if you see Adam Wainwright get out there and just shove because this team needs something like that right now and it feels like if something will go wrong it could go wrong it will go wrong yeah, at this point this team. The, the whack-a-mole thing we were talking about earlier it's just I compare it to the Blues too when it goes to you know just talking to Ryan O'Reilly throughout the season and how the hesitance was there all season for the Blues while he was still here and they were just overthinking everything. And it's starting to feel like that is what's going on with this team in every aspect of the game. And when you have that, especially in baseball, which is such a mental game, even more so than hockey, obviously, it's troubling. And for a team, too, that has had tendencies of not performing well under pressure, thinking back to the playoffs over the last couple of seasons, it feels like right now, with so much pressure being on this team, these players aren't living up in those moments. And it'd be such a way to write that if Adam Wainwright, of all people, could come on today and just shove in the start for the Cardinals. It really is. And again, like you look at everything that he's done so far this season, and the response I would imagine is, man, what gives you any hope that Adam Wainwright can do that? Where he hasn't been able to pitch six innings at all this season. All but one game he's given up three or more earned runs. And we're talking about a guy that's been sitting with a six ERA basically all season long. The reason I say that is because that's why you paid him $17 million to come back this season. You paid him to be that final year of Adam Wainwright, but you paid him to provide what he did last year. And that's innings. And that's an ability to lead a team out of the storm. And it felt like we were trending. I thought that Dodgers game was the moment for Adam Wainwright. But then the Cincinnati Reds happen, and that's to your point where when one thing feels like you've got it figured out, the next thing falls, and then the next thing falls, and the next thing falls. You're looking for six innings from Adam Wainwright tonight, and again, that seems impossible to do, but you're looking for six innings to keep this thing within striking distance, and it's not just for him, it's for the roster. And I don't know if anybody saw these quotes that Adam Wainwright had to Derek Gould, but these are just a couple of them that popped out to us. Quote, I don't think concerned is the right word, Wainwright said. I think pissed is the right word. Everyone is pissed at a lot of different things. We come in here, we look around, and we're like, what the heck? Some things can't be explained. You've just got to go and perform. 
We've been one moment away from winning all of these games. We had the first game, we blew it. We should have won that. We let it slip away. Win that game, probably win at least one more, but we didn't. That's the frustrating thing. We've had our chance. We need to go on a run here where we win a lot of games and find ways to win games and not find ways to lose games. This is my question. Because the quote that stuck out to me was where he said, nobody is panicking, and that's a good thing. More urgency wouldn't be hurt. At what point does the urgency just disappear? Because for me, you use urgency when you know what the problem is and you fix it so that you can get back on the right track. The problem for this Cardinals team is it's not just one area that you're looking for a way to fix and then you can just kind of roll from there. Like the Atlanta Braves that just went 15 and 14. They need some urgency. They don't need urgency because it's the Atlanta freaking Braves. But what I mean by that is, you know that the offense is good. They're dealing with injuries right now. Urgency comes into play for them to wear right the ship sooner rather than later. I think the urgency factor is gone for this Cardinals team. I think it's the panic factor now. And I know you don't want to play with panic, but when you're sitting where you just went 4-8 and eight in these 12 games against Cincinnati, Cleveland, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh, you're now back to the bottom of the NL Central, seven and a half games out. You're basically the worst team in the National League right now. There's no more sense of urgency. This is now we've got to get this figured out or come trade deadline time, we've got so deep of a hole, we're not digging ourselves out of it. I think urgency can turn into a negative thing a little bit too, if there's too much of it, especially for these players right now where it feels like they're second-guessing themselves all the time and they're just overthinking everything and nothing's going right. When you have too much urgency like that, then it's the equivalent in hockey of gripping the stick too tight, yeah. which we talked about all season with the St. Louis Blues. And for the Cardinals, I mean, look at runners in scoring position right now for them. It's non-existent. And when you come up to big moments like that, yeah, it's good to have urgency. But also, if you think about it too much and you try to be too urgent and you're running through everything in your mind at all times, it has the negative effect to it. And that's where Wayno comes in. Yeah. Like, you need that cooler heads will prevail prevail in this spot. The problem is I just don't think you can sit there because the message we're hearing so much after games is – we're not panicked. It's fine. We're going to find our way out of this. That was cool in the first month of the season. But now we're in June, and you just got swept by the Pirates. And the next stretch that you're looking at for the Cardinals is you're taking on a Texas Rangers team. You're back in the NL Central. Like This builds more and more up to the point where you can't sit there and continue to preach, we're going to get out of this. Even a 17-game win streak isn't going to do much for this team once you hit that end of the season if you've dug this whole 15 to 20 games to where you can't dig yourself out of it and I know a ton of people are sending texts in now saying you know what can the Cardinals do to lighten up the clubhouse is this on Ollie? guys this isn't on Ollie to get these guys out of this this is the part where I do push back on the well the manager needs to go you could put any manager in there it's not going to stop these pitchers from throwing the ball right over the middle of the plate it's not going to stop these guys from only getting five hits in a game and four of them have come from two guys, one that wasn't even in the lineup two days ago. So it, it just is a, a strange word to use in terms of urgency for this Cardinals team because I don't know if there's any more urgency to be had for this team. I think if something does happen with Ali Marmol, because you know it, on the text line right now, everybody's bringing up Ali Marmol. Why do you think when you have a team like the Phillies last year who fire their manager and then they go on a crazy run to the World Series? 
What do you think would happen for the Cardinals right now if Ali Marmol hypothetically was fired? What kind of response do you think that that would give to the team? You talk about urgency. And I'm glad you asked that. First, that's the same question that we we had when people were saying fire Baruby. Right. Who are you putting in place? Uh, I mean, look, I I love Steve Ott, but I don't think Steve Ott was prepared to take on that roster for the rest of the season. You're not bringing somebody in mid-season. So, yeah, you go down that hypothetical path. I'm glad you brought that up. Joe McEwing's probably your manager. People are complaining about Ollie right now. I mean, that's their bench coach. He's essentially the second manager for this team. So that's the one part that I do look at, and, and I do agree with BK in the sense of you can say it all you want, but the narrative is Arenado's not hitting. Wilson Contreras isn't hitting. You've got three guys who were supposed to be starting in the outfield for you not around right now for this team. So there's only certain ways you can go with all of this if you're the Cardinals. And look, this is about as big of a test as you can ask for by taking on this Texas Rangers team. But again, this all starts with one player, and it's Adam Wainwright finding a way to kind of grab this snowball and find a way to stop it before it gets bigger. Because if this starts off the wrong way, it does seem. I mean, the narrative of this team in the first two months of the season was you lost the first game of the series. Now they've stopped that since. No coincidence that you won the first game of the series against the Cubs, won that series. Red Sox swept that series. Milwaukee won that series. Dodgers won that series. Since then, you lost the game against the Reds. You lost the Guardians. You lost the Royals. And you lost the Pirates. If you want a better narrative in terms of urgency, start winning the first game of the series. And that's with Wayno against this Rangers team tonight out in Texas. He's Grant Francis. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk with Katie Wu coming up in about 15 minutes on Wayno's start and a couple of more items. But coming up next, you send us the scenario to our text line, Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. We'll tell you if we are in or out next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. That's right. Even when they're out, we still go with it. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. BK is out for the rest of the day today. Tanner is out. So Grant Francis and I are holding things down. We got Katie Wu coming up in our next segment to preview this Cardinals and Rangers series. But now we've got in or out. You send us the scenarios to the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll tell you if we are in or out. 314-399-9646. Six. Let's start with this one. Fellas, in or out, the Cardinals before the deadline, trade deadline, are sitting at 500 or better. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I'm going to say out, and I know I've been the negative Nancy on this Cardinals team, but you're sitting 10 from it now? Yeah. And if you look at this schedule that you've got going into that deadline, I mean, as much as we talk about the ease of a schedule, I mean, Texas is not going to be easy. Cincinnati, you just split with. It really doesn't matter who you play against because this team's got to find ways through it and they've got to do it internal rather than worry about the opponent. But I mean, you're talking about the rest of June and July playing teams 
whether you've got some Washington Nationals and some Chicago Cubs, but a lot of the other ones are teams that are competing in their respective division. So I'm going to say I'm out on this one. I think they dig themselves out of the hole a little bit better than where they're at right now. But to say they're at 500 or above, I'm going to push back on that one. I think I'm with you. I'm out on this as well. And even against the easy teams, though, like you just split with the Kansas City Royals on a two game set. Like even against the easy teams, it's not going well for the Cardinals. I think the offense will get it figured out at some point. And I don't know if it's going to be to the point to where they're going to be winning games back to the 500 level. But the problem is, even when the offense does get figured out, if it gets figured out, the pitching is not going to hold up like it has over the past 10 games, even though it hasn't been resulting in wins. I still don't think the pitching is going to hold up over the long term. So again, even if the offense gets it figured out, I'm still out on the fact that they are 500 approaching the deadline. Yeah, when the problem with the pitching too is if one fixes, if one gets fixed the starting pitching, the other falls apart. Yeah. The bullpen. Look at how you've been pitching in the last few weeks. The bullpen falls apart. The bullpen was spot on for you in the first month of the season. Heck, we were ready to put everybody in the circle of trust. And now that has completely changed. So, Can you even make a circle? No. Right? Somebody okay. brought that up earlier on the text line and said, would your circle of trust have anybody in it? Maybe Giovanni Gallegos, but even that makes me nervous these days. No, there's there's not one guy that would be in that circle of maybe, trust maybe right a now. a pair of trust. Yeah, no, I don't even know if it's a pair. It might be a I, there's no trust right now with anybody with this team. I can't even come up with a, a clever line on it. Grant, what do you got for in or out? All right. I brought this up a little bit ago when we were talking about the Blues. In or out, the Blues will be a wild card team next season. Ooh. Um, I'll say I'm in on this because they're not winning the division. Uh, that's more than likely going to be Colorado. Um because they're going to have $7 million to work with of having no Landeskog and who knows with Nachushkin. And then you've got Dallas that are there. I don't think Winnipeg's making the playoffs next year, no, by the way. No, Winnipeg's blowing that thing up. So if I look at the playoffs, the Central Division, Colorado, Dallas, Minnesota are probably in that. I would say Nashville's going to be competitive for it. That's four teams. And then in the Pacific, you've got Vegas, Edmonton, LA. They'll all be there. I fully expect Seattle to be there. That's seven. So St. Louis is competing for that last wild card spot with Winnipeg, Calgary, Nashville, Nashville, Vancouver. Yeah, those those four teams for two spots. So yeah, I'll say that they get a wild card spot next season. I'm in. I think that might come down to the final game of the regular season. Like th this might come down to the last couple of games. I think it's going to be really really close. I think they've got a shot. I really don't think that all of the players that had down seasons last year are going to once again have bad seasons. I do think that for a lot of these players last year was an outlier and it's not going to be as bad as it was last season. Now, I don't think this team is going to be competing for anything big down the stretch of the playoffs, but I do think it's a reality that they could sneak into the playoffs as that wild card. So I'm going to go in on this. I mean, the reality of this is there's 12 teams that are going to be competing in the West for the playoffs because Arizona, San Jose, Chicago pretty much write them off. You've got 12 teams fighting for eight spots. So you could be one of those teams in the central or you're going to be fighting. And frankly, I think Winnipeg's going to look very different by next season. So, I mean, people are talking about Connor Hellebuck being traded. Connor Hellebuck, Mark Shifley, yeah. Blake Wheeler's possibly going to get bought out. That might be a start to look at what the Blues are going through right now in terms of the retool in that sense. In or out, Zachary Bolduc within the next three years is a 30-goal scorer in the NHL. Ooh. 
I think it's I'm from the three one four. I think I'm gonna go out on that. I, in the next three years, I think it's going to take a little bit longer for him. I'd say closer to like maybe four or five years because next year he's not going to spend a lot of time in the NHL. It's going to be majority AHL. The year after that, going to be his you know rookie season where he's playing a lot. Um, I, I don't see him getting 30 goals in that. Maybe the third year, but I think he's going to be more 20 to 25 and then maybe a year or two where he peaks around 30. So I'm going to say more towards four or five years away from that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm out on this one, too. I think the only chance that you could get close to that is if you're playing significant power play time. Um, but as much as I think he can have a presence on the power play, we're talking about the second power play unit because your first power play unit is probably already locked in. Um, he's a wild card to me. You know, somebody asked the question we were talking about him earlier. They, they asked where he would rank in the draft prospect rankings if he were in this draft. I was thinking about that, too. I I would probably say you're talking about the fourth tier. Yeah. The third or fourth tier, like 6 to 16, somewhere between there. It's just tough because I, I was looking at this earlier in terms of, and I don't know how this works. Jamie would actually have a better answer on this than I would because he played in junior hockey. But... If I'm not mistaken, the QMJHL is a different competitive level in terms of talent of the junior players than the WHL and the OHL. And the reason I bring that up is because I was curious, the last QMJHL team that won the Memorial Cup, who were on who was on that team that was significant in terms of when they went to the NHL? And I mean, there are not a lot of recognizable names. The last one that I could come up with was Noah Dobson from the New York Islanders. Mm. But I mean, all of these QMJHL teams that won the Memorial Cup, the guys were 100-point players. A lot of those guys didn't play more than 15, 20 games in the NHL. I'm not saying that's Zachary Bolduc, but what I'm saying is this is a 20-year-old six-foot kid that has a lot of offense, but that's in the juniors. And there's, there's, a, there's a step process. It's the AHL and then the NHL. So... I would say I'm out on that because that's going to take a little bit of time before Zachary Bolduc becomes seasoned enough to be that that effective. Yeah, it feels like there's quite the discrepancy between the Q and even the AHL in terms yeah. of talent level. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Zachary Bolduc is able to do once he reaches the AHL level. And that's where you can really evaluate how much talent he has and how effective he could be for the Blues. But again, like you said as well, when he does finally reach the NHL level, it's going to be in a bottom six role for a while because that's how the Blues do things. So even when he reaches the NHL level, it might not be super sexy at first. I'll say this. Let, let me throw this scenario. In or out, Zachary Dean plays more games at the NHL than Zachary Bolduc next season. I'll go in on that because I think Zachary Dean's Agreed. style of play is, first of all, more what the Blues are in need of right now in terms of the grittiness, the physicality. That's not Zachary Bolduc, but it feels like Zachary Dean, that might be the case for him. So, yes, I'll go in on that, that he plays more at the NHL level next season. 100% agree with that. Uh, from the 636, Zach Plezak from the Cleveland Guardians makes sense for the Cardinals, in or out. So, please, Zach, 24-year-old uh, right-hander. Uh, he's having a good season. Where is that? Oh, no, he is not having a good season. Last year, he had an okay season. This season, 7.59 ERA, 21 and a third innings pitched, three home runs, 18 earned runs given up, and only 14 strikeouts. Well, he sounds like a Cardinal. Sounds exactly like a Cardinal. I mean, this is a guy who's got a career 4.2 ERA, 466 innings thrown, 359 strikeouts. Um, 
I'm gonna say out on this because this is a reclamation project. And I don't want, I don't know if Cleveland is gonna be willing to just give away Plezak, even for how bad he's been. I mean, he's arbitration eligible for one more year. They basically have him up until 2026. And this was a guy who was one of their better arms in their rotation the last couple of years. But I'm going to say I'm out on this because this doesn't match the ace criteria that the Cardinals would be looking at. And even if you are going after an ace, you got to get something that you know is going to be solidified once you get him. Like you can't bring somebody in right now if you're trying to be competitive and say, oh, he might be good for us. We could we could write him. You can't say you're going to write somebody when your starting pitching is as bad as it is right now. When you hear this stat line, tell me if you're in or out on this. His last three starts, five innings, seven hits, two earned runs, one strikeout. Okay, not bad. Five innings, 10 hits, three earned runs, five strikeouts. Eh, not good. Three and a third innings, eight hits, five earned runs, one strikeout. Not good. Well, he was DFA'd by yeah. Cleveland also, which also tells you kind of where they're at with that. So um, I would I would more than likely say out on this one uh, for this Cardinals team. Final one, in or out, both finals, NBA and Stanley Cup, go to game sevens. That's an interesting one. Um, for the Stanley Cup final, I could see that going seven. I was telling you just a little bit ago, Alex, that the way game one went for the Florida Panthers felt a lot to me exactly how game one went for the St. Louis Blues in 2019, where the Panthers came out strong and they did not end strong. And it ended up being um, quite the tilted ice in the third period uh, for the Bruins in 2019 and for Vegas in this year's series. I think Florida wins game two. I think that is going to go seven NBA finals. I've always said this too. If I'm going to split the first two games, I would rather lose game one and win game two and have momentum either going on the road or coming back home. So I like where Miami's at right now. I could see that going seven as well. Um, I'll go in on this. I'm going to go in too. I, I, Florida and Vegas is just going to be a juggernaut. I think that's going to go back and forth. And I, I, I believe Florida ties things up tonight, and that's going to show you the game seven uh, path. The Nuggets and Heat are interesting because BK, I. I will self-admit it. I haven't watched the most NBA, you so I'm both. not 100% locked in on this, but BK is sold on Denver not going past five games and winning it. I think Miami makes it a little bit tighter. That one, to me, feels more like a six, but I'll say I'm in on both of these because I just, when you get to these finals, it just seems like they're scripted out so well that you see two game sevens. So we'll see kind of what takes place moving forward, which, by the way, you can hear the Stanley Cup final game two tonight here on 101 ESPN with pregame starting at 6.30. And you can make sure you're checking in on the Swinging for Impact Top Golf with Big League Impact. Thanks to everyone who helped sell out this year's Big League, Big League Impact Swinging for Impact event with Adam Wainwright this Sunday evening at Top Golf. Also, thanks to Scott Lee Heating Company for helping sponsor this year's event. Even though Swinging for Impact is already sold out, there are still many upcoming opportunities to help support Big League Impact, including their Cardinals London Watch Party happening Saturday, June 24th at Patios, hosted by the Opening Drive. Find out more about the Cardinals London Watch Party at Patios at 101ESPN.com. Katie Wu joins us next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Alongside Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. No BK, no Tanner. They'll both be back with us tomorrow. But that doesn't mean we're going to stop our therapy sessions, our weekly therapy session that we go through on Mondays to talk about this Cardinals and how disappointing and frustrating and angry it makes us. She is our favorite, the Cardinals insider for the athletic, Ms. Katie Wu. Katie, how are you today? Alex, I'm great, and I have some bad news for you. I am not sure how beneficial this weekly therapy session will be today. In terms of positive vibes, I don't have very many for the St. Louis Cardinals right now. Well, let's start with the positives, because you were at a Shania Twain concert last night, and I would imagine probably better than Taylor Swift, right? You know, look, Taylor Swift is the queen for me, but I love a good Shania show, and uh, I had, I'm going to just assume a better time at the Shania Twain concert than maybe the Cardinals did in Pittsburgh. Well, you can assume correctly because not only could they not hit the ball, they really couldn't find a way to win games. They gave up the five runs, they gave up the two runs, and then, of course, they only scored one run with five hits. And, and Katie, let's start there because BK and I were talking about this earlier in the show, and this season really is the whack-a-mole season where one portion of it, the pitching doesn't show up. The next portion of it, the offense doesn't show up. And then you're getting errors on the defense and the bullpen combusts. Are we back to the offense just going just Harry Houdini on us and disappearing? Because everybody seems to stop hitting over this last five or six game stretch. No, I think you nail it here, Alex. I think what's been the most perplexing or perhaps most maddening thing about the Cardinals this season, it's not just one avenue that they're underperforming. As soon as something gets right, another thing goes terribly wrong. I mean, for weeks we were talking about the starting rotation. And the starting rotation as of late has looked pretty dang good. And it's the offense that we were raving about and the most reliable relievers in the bullpen imploding and the usually consistent defense that is no longer carrying weight. But let's talk about the offense right now. And let's, let's adjust expectations. Look, I'm looking at the starting lineup today against the Rangers, uh, probably the second best team in baseball right now. <laughs> so great, great test for the Cardinals. You're, look, you have Luke and Baker who has played one game in the major leagues. He's your DH. He's batting fifth. Jordan Walker is back, and of course, we're all excited about that, and this is in no way diminishing his potential, but he's still a prospect, still adjusting to the major leagues, and you have Oscar Mercado batting ninth. Tommy Edmond playing center field. While he does play an above-average center field and really has been saving the Cardinals in that department lately, this is not an, uh, a lineup that you roll out uh, on opening day, and you're like, yep, this is our best nine. And there's no discredit to these guys here, but when you're relying on young, unproven talent, like Mercado, like Baker, um, and to an extent, Walker, to make up for the production of Lars Neubacher missing, Dylan Carlson, who was starting to get things going before who got, uh, he got hurt. To me, that's completely different offenses and completely different expectations. So I think that's been a big key. That, however, does not excuse the underperformance from the heart of the order. When you have a lineup that has Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnato, Wilson Contreras, you expect to score uh, certainly more than a couple runs a game. When you have Miles Michaelis, who has really just been on a tear lately, come out and allow two runs in the first inning, you should still feel confident in your ability to win a game. Um, it's just been overall a pretty disappointing performance from the offense for multiple reasons lately. Well, Katie, talking about the expectations for the offense, switching to pitching a little bit, the pitching, the starting pitching at least, has been a little bit better as of late over the past 10 games. H have your expectations or your outlook for the for the pitching staff right now, ha has that risen at all? Has it gotten more positive? Or, you know, ha have your expectations sort of still stay the same? I think we're seeing the Miles Michaelis, the Cardinals envisioned when they signed him uh, to the extension. The Miles Michaelis we're seeing over his last five or six starts 
much more indicative to what we saw in 2022 when he led the National League and game started and was an all-star. We're seeing Jack Flaherty find that consistency where you know he can go out there and give you a shot to win every game. We're seeing Jordan Montgomery has had a brutal stretch of tough luck, but he's still going out there and performing and giving you a chance to win games. And to me, that's what I think the starting rotations uh, projections had been all season. Just give the Cardinals a shot to stay in the ball game, and they've been doing so. Of course, there are two big question marks coming up today with Adam Wainwright and tomorrow with Matthew Liberatore. And we'll see from there. But if I'm looking at the three starters in Pittsburgh, I feel confident that the Cardinals will at least get a a decent start where they can win a game. And they did all three times from their starting pitchers. And I think that's what you can expect from the rotation right now. Um, Unfortunately, like we talked about, Alex, nothing else is going right to be able to back that up. No, it really isn't. And when it comes to this loss, I mean, you look at the last 12, Katie, you go four and eight between Cincinnati, Cleveland, Kansas City and Pittsburgh. And really, that starts with the downfall of your outfield. I know Tyler O'Neill has been out for about a month, but you're also talking about losing Dylan Carlson and you're talking about losing Lars Newtbar and not trying to shoot down what these other, what these other guys have provided. But this Cardinals team made a significant bet on the outfielders of Newt Bar, Carlson, and O'Neill being able to carry this team in terms of the offense and the defense that they're providing. Has this struggle that we've seen been caused a lot because of the outfield being inconsistent? Yeah, I think that's a valid point. I mean, I remember at winter warm-up in January, and John Mozeliak comes out and says, we're betting on guys like Tyler O'Neill. We're betting on guys like Dylan Carlson. And you can't control injuries. I do know that. And I, you know, I'm not out here blaming guys for getting hurt. That's completely unfair. But it's untimely, of course. We talked a lot about the outfield depth in April and how the Cardinals essentially had three center fielders to choose from. And where are all three of those projected center fielders? They're on the injured list. And these are guys that have been performing really well. I mean, I thought Dylan, have we seen the best version of him that we've seen probably since early 2021 in terms of his power from the left-handed side. Lars Newbar, of course, is a staple both in the clubhouse and on the field. And Tyler O'Neill, I know, has been hurt. But when he's right, I know those times have been limited. He's certainly an impact bat. So when you lose those three projected outfielders that the Cardinals were banking on to start the season and you fill it in with guys from AAA, this is not, again, to discredit Luke and Baker, who's had a heck of a season in the minor leagues. It's not to discredit Jordan Walker, who has handled everything with grace and class and certainly looks to be a, a central point in the Cardinals' future. Oscar Mercado has come in there and played some decent center field. But really, you're relying on Brendan Donovan and Tommy Edmond and their versatility to keep this team afloat, and they've done a tremendous job in that aspect. But that does not overcome what the Cardinals are missing from their outfield because guys are hurt. We're talking with Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider of the athletic, covering the Cardinals team as they get set for a three-game set against the Texas Rangers tonight. Katie, we... we... Of course, as Cardinals fans, and I'm one of them, when things start to go down, you start pointing fingers and you're looking at different areas of, oh, the front office could have signed a starting pitcher, or oh, the players should be hitting more, or the offense is not being um, the best they can be because the manager is not at his best. When you look at the job that Ali Marmal has done this season, where do you stand on him? That's a great question, and not I'm not sure I have a true answer because – being a manager is managing the the players that you have on your roster. And right now, this roster is a little bit in disarray. That is above always pay grade. However, as a manager, you do have to find the best combination of what works and get the best out of your players. I do not think the Cardinals at 25 and 35 are getting the best <laughs> out of their roster. So I think it's a little, I think it's both. I think there's some front office to do with it. I think all he needs to do a better job in finding that mix. It's certainly not for lack of effort. I will say this, but 
again, it's hard for me to pin everything on one area or one avenue, whether it's performance, front office, roster construction, coaching. To me, it's just the perfect snowball of everything that has gone wrong for the Cardinals. You look at where they are in the standings, and I know it's a tiring excuse, but it does have, it's not an excuse really, but it is some rationale. There is some merit to this NL Central just not being a very good division, and I think that's why this organization isn't in a full panic mode, but they're close. At some point, you are whatever, – whatever happens, happens. You are what your record says you are. Right now, the Cardinals are the worst team in the National League, and if that isn't enough to – regardless of division, regardless of who you have on your roster, regardless of who you have coming back from injury or the position that you are in, if you could eventually make a trade – all those factors aside, that alone should be enough to be full panic mode. Well, and, and final one for you, Katie, that's the part that's just so confusing because the Cardinals do seem like they're between a rock and a hard place because you get to the trade deadline and you, maybe you're still out of it, but you feel like you're within striking distance of the NL Central. On one hand, you could try and be aggressive and trade some significant pieces to gain a ace to your starting pitching staff. But does that hurt the next couple of years in terms of winning window? You can't really sell because the pieces you're going to sell are going to hurt you next season in terms of competing. The Cardinals really have dug themselves this hole that even at the deadline, I'm not sure much can change. Right. And I think that's going to be the biggest storyline going forward. The start, the, the first week of June always to me feels like, okay, trade deadline's coming, even though it's eight weeks away. Right. But I think that's going to be uh, such uh, a dry, like drive the conversation because historically the Cardinals don't sell at the deadline. And when you look at where they are, sure, the record is not great. But based on where they're in division and what they have with their current team, can you really justify them selling? My inclination is no, you can't, because they're just one hot streak away from being right back in it. Now, of course, you can roll your eyes and say, what from the last 60 days makes me confident that there's going to be a hot streak in this team? And that is valid. But I think that's the question the front office is weighing is, does this team have what it takes to make a run if we go out there and we add a key piece? My inclination is that the Cardinals will still be competing for a spot come the trade deadline, and it will take us a miraculous second-half run. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, Alex. I don't think they're out of it, but I think things need to change very, very soon. No, I'm absolutely with you, Katie, because, I, I mean, again, I know people think it's an excuse, but it really it's an explanation. You're playing in a weak division that gives you an opportunity. I mean, the winner of the NL Central might actually have less than 90 wins for how this is going, but I, I'm so hesitant because even on a win streak like we saw where they took 12 of 16 with the Cubs and the Brewers and the Red Sox and the Dodgers – that you're just waiting for that shoe to drop because after the Dodgers series, then you start the winning four out of eight, uh, eight game, uh, 12 games. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I think over the next month or so, I think June is such an imperative month for the St. Louis ball club in terms of how they'll approach the deadline. But because of the division and because the Cardinals do have several key pieces uh, that many, many teams will be interested in, I can see them being aggressive at the deadline. I don't see them selling. Of course, that could change because I certainly did not see them last place in the National League. Yep, I'm with you, Katie. It's going to be a fun month of June, and it starts, uh, well, continues tonight against this Texas Rangers squad. Appreciate you, as always, Katie. Keep up the great work on The Athletic, and we'll talk to you again next Monday. You got it, Alex. Talk soon. There you go. It's Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider, covering the team for The Athletic. Be sure to follow her on Twitter, at Katie J. Wu, and make sure you subscribe to her work, along with Jeremy Rutherford's work on The Athletic, covering the Blues and the Cardinals. What she said there at the end, Grant, we'll get into this on the other side, but one quick point on it. The month of June is going to be imperative for 
how this team views the trade deadline. And it's really how all teams go. Like, you kind of know what you are after about 40 games, 60 games through, you really start to know. Uh, Mike Claiborne always told me flag day is when you know what your team is and which way you're going to go. You've got 21 games, including tonight, before the end of June. And these are the 21 games. you got a series against Texas, series against Cincinnati, San Francisco, the Mets, the Nationals, the Cubs, the Astros, the Yankees. You start the Yankees at the end of June. Of those seven series, four of them, I'd argue, are going to be in the playoffs competing. You've got the Rangers, you've got the Astros, the Yankees, and then... I still view the Mets as a playoff contender, although right now they're playing kind of like the Cardinals are. But that's four teams that you're looking at and saying, all right, let's see what you do against these. But what I like about this schedule, rather than what you saw with Chicago and Boston and Milwaukee and uh, the Dodgers, is you've got some lesser opponents sprinkled in between. And that run that you made last month, it was Chicago, lesser opponent, Boston, lesser but still a little bit better, Chicago, then L.A. I like the fact that you've got to take on Texas and then Cincinnati and the Mets and then the Nationals, the Cubs and then the Astros, because you're going this back and forth in between. You've got days off in between all of these series, so there's no excuse for rest. This month really is going to tell the front office, are we going to go full force with it or are we going to look at this another direction and say, let's see what we are as we get closer and what the calls sound like. I think I know the answer to this from me and you, but from the organization standpoint, let's say things stay the same through June. You're still seven games back of the division lead come the end of June. Do you really think, though, that the organization is going to go and approach the trade deadline at that point thinking that we should sell? Because I don't. No, I I don't either. We can think what we want. That's the part. There's nothing to sell. You can sell Flaherty. Probably not going to get much bet. You could sell Montgomery, although it sounds like they'd rather... Would you rather sell Montgomery for a middling piece or get the qualifying offer? I would say the Cardinals are going to want the qualifying offer. Then there's nothing else you're selling, unless you want to sell bullpen pieces. But again, halts your growth of a winning window next offseason. Let's continue this conversation on the other side. We'll hit the rewind next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. chance to win dead and company tickets right now the chance to wear the win the pair of tickets to see dead and company at hollywood casino amphitheater this wednesday june 7th few tickets remain for this show you can find all the details at 101espn.com but right now text in 314-399-9646 if you are texter 101 and can tell me what appliance did not work when it was installed in my house. If you can give us the answer to that at 314-399-9646, you are the winner of a pair of tickets to see Dead and Company. Alongside Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario as we hit our rewind before the fast lane takes over. And just to continue the conversation to kind of put a bow on this, which I'm not putting a bow on this because I guarantee we're going to be talking about this for the next two months of the Cardinals being sellers at the deadline. 
we got a ton of texts while we were sitting here saying, oh, well, you could sell Tyler O'Neill and Paul DeYoung. Do you think people want either of those players right now that would give you something of significance? Because they won't. And as much as I disagree with the notion of Paul Goldschmidt being traded, to be devil's, devil's advocate on it, you want the best return? You trade an M, a former MVP, current MVP, to somebody who needs a first baseman or a DH bat. That's going to give you the best return on investment. Unless you're willing to trade Jordan Walker or Mason Wynn or Brendan Donovan or Nolan Gorman, which doesn't make any sense for this team. And I agree, it doesn't make any sense to trade Paul Goldschmidt, but this team is between a rock and a hard place in terms of you can't trade it for assets to kind of retool. You also can't trade assets to make your team make a push for a World Series winner because your team hasn't shown the depth and the ability to do that. So this is where you're at right now. And even if they did have that, I don't think the organization is at a point because of the division that they're in. I don't think that they're ever really going to be at the point where they take on the personality of being sellers because no matter how bad it gets for this team, they're always going to be within reaching distance before the trade deadline because of how bad this division is. Yeah. So from the organization standpoint, they're not going to want to do anything like that anyway. From yep. a fan's point, you might want to feel that way. But from the organization standpoint, the division's so bad that it's not going to matter for them. 21 games in the month of June. That's going to be a real telling sign, according to Katie Wu, of what this team's going to look like. Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers, Andrew Marsh, the fast lane. Plenty more Cardinals conversation coming your way next. We will be back with you tomorrow at 11 here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.